Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I'm not anti-leak. How? <laughs> because I'm a journalist. I like leaks. I like to get the information I so I can for, I believe test an power and get transparency. Even though the President of the United States has raised questions about whether or not I should be able to get that information and whether or not we should be part of the hedging process on getting after leaks. You know that he said what, that, What's right? hedging? I don't know what you're talking about. That maybe one of the ways we deal with these leaks is to go after the journalists as well. Okay. The president is okay. suggesting that maybe you do that to us now. Is that okay? He doesn't want to put anybody in jail. The president doesn't suggest to put any of you guys in jail. He has done exactly that, actually. Now, he'll say I was musing, <laughs> I was just throwing it out there, but he has. He says we're the enemy of the American people. Oh, you people. guys have broadcast from inside the jail. We'd have to let you broadcast from no. inside. Look, it's not a jail. And I bring you, uh, I bring you know, I think about it sometimes, you know, no, you don't. that maybe a day will come to pass where I, he wants I'll to give, move I'll on leave. people who criticize now and that test I, power. I left my law firm, I'll, I'll represent you. Yeah, I'll great. Just what I need. <laughs> there were calls for the students here to pick up the gun control movement that we saw spark in Parkland, but there is no indication from what our crew has seen that that movement is taking hold here. There is fatigue. This was another one. But after Parkland, after right. all that you saw, all the action that Kelly Clarkson's calling for after Parkland, that was, what, two months ago? This case in Santa Fe doesn't set up great for the gun debate, by the way. Uh, the Santa Fe shooting, as James, I'm sure, will go into detail, doesn't set up well as being a law away or one vetting step away from this not having happened. Mm -hmm. This case doesn't really set up that well in terms of we were one law away one gun control law away from stopping this shooting. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 22nd of May, year of our Lord, 2018. And we're a day late, but not going to be a dollar short today on this podcast. A lot of interesting stuff. We started off Chris Cuomo insinuating the President of the United States would arrest him because he's a journalist. Then Chris Cuomo talking about the re recent shooting, which I'm not going to talk a lot about. Um, and how it doesn't fit right, which I don't know what that means. It's an interesting juxtaposition about their journalistic integrity. A, they relish shootings. B, they have made the President of the United States this all-powerful, evil person. When, as we finish this, we're going to find a lot of more information about what really happened in 2016. And the more the onion is peeled, the more we find this is all a ruse, like we've been saying, because more and more information is coming out that this was illegal as fuck. What the Obama administration did was illegal, a ruse to get in and try to disrupt a campaign that was beating their candidate, as a lady said, worse than Watergate. Those are the words of a journalist, not a conservative one either. And we'll see by the very, very end, because we're going to do some reviews today on Cobra Kai, which was awesome, 13 Reasons Why Season 2, that the Obamas have joined Netflix. So that's an interesting uh, concept. It goes with the Solinsky way. They control the schools. They control uh, social media. They control TV. And now they want to control Netflix because... Netflix is very big with everybody, and if you're like me, you can shut off all the gay-centric stuff and ignore it, and after a while, it goes out of your feed, but now you're going to have Obama Company with Susan Rice on the board shoving more liberal diatribe down your neck. 
But I'd like to start with something that happened that just shows how horrible Armenia really is. Chris Eliza put a picture of Donald Trump pointing to heavens to commemorate police officers killed in line of duty. And there's a green crosshair on it. He said it was because the gift gift maker has those crosshairs. And he forgot to filter it out. But there was crickets about it. And I want to make sure we remember that Sarah Palin was responsible for Gabby Gifford getting shot because she had crosshairs on states. But that's a journalist who then got all pissed off and in his bitchy role, let me say for the billionth time, reporters don't root for a side period. We're going to see so many side periods, it's not even funny. And before we go to fire effect, I don't like Kellyanne Conway, but she did do a good thing with Brian Seltzer, who got very upset that she insinuated what Democrats are going to vote for, which is a new conservative tactic, which I love, pressing these liberals like they press them. Because we know you're voting for Democrats. Your coverage is all Democrat all the time. And Brian Seltzer, a Democrat, a podcast guy like me, who somehow got a job because he's a liberal and gay, um, literally dogging Fox in college. That's where he came from. He was a DNC staffer. And now he runs a show called Reliable Sources, which is neither reliable or a source. And I thought this was really a cute soundbite. But I forgot one thing I got to talk about. Booker says he traveled across the country to the South. I've read books like Hillbilly Elegy, Everything I Can Try to Understand, folks, followed by Sarah McMahon from NPR saying, Overheard in D.C. I could never live in a rural area some random-ass city like Wisconsin. Remember, folks, they hate us. I think we should hate them back. Clinton's mistakes Talk were some about of the factors. Talk about it on CNN every day. Russia, there were a lot of factors. But let, let's, no, Russia, you know. no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you get away with saying that Russia had anything to do with this election result. What is your proof of that? What is it? Okay, Show the me. WikiLeaks, the, the, the use of WikiLeaks, the abuse of the WikiLeaks uh, documents, the stolen emails, all whoa, of that. We've whoa, litigated Brian, this. Brian, you're trying to break news here and it's not working. I'm sorry. Did you just say something that a lot of people on your side of the aisle are not willing to say? I'm that, not on that, a side of an aisle. That's an well, offensive tell America, remark. Did you vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? How did your wife vote? I did not vote, vote for America. president. I left that spot blank on the ballot that day. But it's not appropriate for you to go you around didn't asking think she people who your they help. voted for. and fired live ammunition. They've killed more than 40 Palestinian protesters over the last six weeks. 
Most of the Palestinians here today are peaceful, uh, but some are attempting to cross the border. They're throwing stones and lighting fires. And on Friday, some of them stormed a border crossing point for cargo and damaged fuel and gas pipelines. The Palestinians have condemned the move of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, in part because they hope that East Jerusalem will one day be their capital if they ever get their own state. These protests also mark the 70th anniversary of the founding of the State of Israel, which the Palestinians call a catastrophe. These demonstrations seem to be fueled by feelings of impotent anger. The, the blockade of the Gaza Strip in place for more than 10 years now has left the economy here on the verge of full collapse, according to the United Nations, with frequent power cuts, contaminated water and nearly 50% unemployment. Nora? Did your army go too far? I don't know of any army who would do anything differently if you had to protect your border against people who say, we're going to destroy you and we're going to flood into your country. You try other means. You try all sorts of means. You try uh, non-lethal means and they don't work. So you're left with uh, bad choices. It's a bad deal. You know, you try and you, you go for below the knee and sometimes it doesn't work. And uh, unfortunately, these things are avoidable if Hamas had not push them there, then nothing would happen. Do you see yourself under any circumstance talking to Hamas? As long as they seek our destruction, what am I going to talk about? I mean, if somebody said, could you talk to Al-Qaeda? Could you talk, would you have discussions with bin Laden? About what? I ask only because, against all odds, the, the U.S. and North Korea seem to be on the verge of, of talking. So sometimes meetings that might be unimaginable end up happening. You're right. It's happened uh, to us with our Arab neighbors, but that's when you have leaders who decided that they abandoned the goal of uh, war and destruction and annihilating the other side. And by the way, even what has happened in North Korea, that took place because of a very clear message, I think, that North Korea received, that the goal of destruction and aggression would be met with very strong, a very strong response. Of course, in our week off, there was some faux outrage started by our media, and of course it was the riots in Gaza. Uh, we just heard CBS questioning Israel's existence in an interview with Bibi, where he had to fight himself back. Before we get into the stupid, I want to read facts that came out after that made the media drop this because it was toxic for him. A miracle in Gaza, the man with crutches suddenly started running. Another one. This could pretty much put an end to the narrative once and for all that the protests in Gaza-Israeli border on Monday was peaceful. First martyrdom pictures come in. Ten killed were members of Hamas. Gaza. More martyrdom pictures. This time from Syrian Al-Quds, the army wing of Iran, sponsored Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Three of its members were killed. Uh, Tom Rogan again. As I told you yesterday, Hamas ground commanders maintain a command structure, conceal fighters behind those crowds and burning tires. Large number of Hamas fighters, fighters typically described, uh, typically disguise themselves as rock throwings. Of the 50, the majority were Hamas members. On NPR, NPR Innskeep just asked Gazan, with a kite with a swastika on it, what it meant. The Jews go crazy when you mention Hitler. 
Steve Inskeep asked if he knows these is Israelis are using the swastika to discredit Gazans. It's what we mean. We want to burn them. Washington Post did cite it eventually. On CNN, though, imagine the desperation it takes to walk in live gunfire from the Middle East's most powerful fighting force, armed with nothing more than rocks and an occasional Molotov or grenade. Try to conceive of the circumstances that would drive so many human beings to such an act. This video shows Palestinians in Gaza shooting down an Israeli drone moments after it released tear gas. Somebody asked, but I thought they were unarmed. Lamont Hill, Palestine-Israeli is not a religious conflict. There are Palestinian Jews and Christians, sir, and this issue doesn't begin in biblical times. It begins in the late 19th century. Dude, you know that's not true. What are both sides' arguments with respect to the rights of that land? And are you really saying that because 1% to 2% of Palestinians are Christians, this means this isn't a religious conflict? David Hersani, well, you could start with Hamas charter, which begins with the words, in the name of the most merciful Allah. Josh Rogan, on the new U.S. Embassy plaque, Donald J. Trump is in larger font than Jerusalem, Israel. Everybody, Will Satine, Chris Saliza, all came down with, this happened. And on their airwaves, this is what they played to push the narrative, which they knew to be false. The opening of the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, fueling outrage with more protests planned today. Palestinians have been protesting here against their lack of freedom for weeks. But their fury boiled over on Monday when the U.S. Embassy was officially moved to Jerusalem with President Trump's blessing. The goal of the protests? To show their outrage. Some say they can't take it anymore. Dozens killed Monday, the deadliest day there in years. A dramatic contrast to what was happening just 40 miles away as the U.S. opened its embassy in Jerusalem. Here, as in every Palestinian community today, there is shock and sorrow and rage at that decision by President Trump to move the embassy to Jerusalem. The White House refusing to criticize Israel at all for the violence. Tens of thousands of Palestinians held angry demonstrations yesterday furious after the U.S. Embassy was moved to Jerusalem. And they are furious over what they say is American bias towards Israel. We are against the, uh, the President Trump. There were more protests planned for today to mark the 70th anniversary of what Palestinians call their day of catastrophe following the founding of the State of Israel. They were angry today in Gaza about the new U.S. Embassy. Men and women threw rocks. And while many protesters were peaceful, some started fires along the border fence with Israel. They've been demonstrating here for six weeks now, 40,000 of them today, according to Israel, encouraged by Hamas, the militant group that's controlled the Gaza Strip since 2007. Israeli soldiers dropped tear gas canisters from drones, They'd already dropped leaflets warning Palestinians not to get too close to the fence. And when they did, the Israelis used live ammunition. There are casualties coming back from the fence. Some of them have been shot and it is utter chaos here. Palestinians want to return to lands they fled in 1948 when the State of Israel was founded. 
and they are furious over what they say is American bias towards Israel. But with their slingshots and burning tires, the protesters, including six children who were reportedly killed today, seem to be losing their lives for nothing. But many Palestinians, like Hakam Abu Shanab, who wants to study for a master's degree, believe dancing with death is the only way to show their desperation. You have a very bright future. Are you willing to die here? Dying here is the only way. Or, or expressing, or at least expressing our feeling uh, to the world, show them that we are dying every day here. These protests are also fueled by economics. Gaza's been blockaded for more than 10 years now. Nearly half of young people can't find jobs, while most families depend on humanitarian aid. Here's to another uh, real atrocity that has to be dealt with. You have violence that's going on in Gaza. It does appear to be calming down. But you remember, peace here is always short-lived, especially after one of the deadliest day in years. The international community is now asking if the deaths of Palestinian protesters could have been prevented. We are live in Gaza. Next. Israel and the U.S. face intense condemnation over Israel's handling of Palestinian protests that have left at least 60 people dead at the Gaza border. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley defying much of the world by praising Israel's restraint. As far as uh, Nikki Haley's remarks to the United Nations uh, yesterday regarding Israeli restraint, uh, well, certainly it's important to keep in mind it wasn't just as it was day before yesterday that around 60 Palestinians were killed. But since those marches began on the 30th of March, the death toll is around 110. And certainly, having been to those demonstrations, uh, restraint isn't quite how one might describe the Israeli uh, attitude. Because, for instance, they are flying those drones that are spewing uh, tear gas well inside Gaza, not the area immediately adjacent to the fence that separates Gaza from Israel, but rather five, six, seven hundred meters inside uh, Gaza. And we saw yesterday one of those drones dropping uh, tear gas on an area where there was a children's playground uh, as well. So there isn't much uh, credence being given to the idea, at least here in Gaza, that Israel is practicing restraint. And over on MSNBC, Josh Kaplan, MSNBC reporter Matt Broadley, falsely claims Palestinian rioters in the Gaza Strip were unarmed, then admits they had some light weapons. And it falls in this soundbite of how MSNBC pushed the false narrative they knew not to be true. Matt, what is it like? What it has? What has it been like on ground? Well, Katie, what I've seen here just yesterday and last Friday was horrible violence. Uh, you saw tens of thousands of people crossing fields between the urban part of Gaza and the Israeli border, essentially trying to walk across this heavily militarized border um, unarmed. Now, as uh, you know, it's it's easy to say they were completely unarmed. They had some light weapons. A lot of them would be burning tires or rolling tires to try to melt the razor wire. Uh, they had slingshots. Uh, they had. A new and crazy invention, incendiary kites, where they would try to loft kites and, uh, with, and set them on fire to try to light up some of the agricultural fields beyond uh, the border with Israel. Um, but these were hardly the kind of weapons that could frighten uh, any Israeli soldier who were armed. 
sniper rifles and who later on in this afternoon were using artillery to fire uh, not only near some of the Hamas locations they had identified, but even near us, about 100 meters next to uh, me and my team this afternoon, uh, we were nearly hit by uh, some artillery. So it's, it's kind of hard to imagine how these Israeli troops could have been threatened uh, by a lot of these young people who were really not peacefully demonstrating, but peacefully by, the, uh, by comparison to the Israeli soldiers. Uh, and indeed, no Israeli soldier has been killed, and nearly 100 ha uh, Palestinians have died in the past seven weeks of protesting. Matt Bradley in Gaza and Eamon Moyer. I understand that your government has been taking actions in Syria. The Iranian government has not fired a single bullet at you guys directly. And the Israeli government is launching airstrikes into Syria against Iranian targets. Explain to viewers how you see it from that perspective that if Iran hasn't violated your sovereignty or your territory, why are you violating Syria's territory and, and carrying out airstrikes against Iran? Well, it's an interesting question, except the facts are completely wrong. Here's why. Iran not only fired 20 missiles just a few days ago at Israel, it also funded and armed Hezbollah and Hamas, who have, who have launched tens of thousands of missiles at Israel. It's blown up Jews around the world. It's openly calling for our annihilation. If that's a peaceful state of affairs, then consider me shocked. That, those are acts of war, which Israel has been the recipient of. So while Donald Trump is doing this and may look for a deflection, it's not necessarily going to help the, the midterms. All of that's important, and all of those babies are dead. All of those people are dead. I... They're dead. And, and we're talking about racehorses. I mean, the politics. I mean, there are a lot of folks who are dead today. For what? I'm sorry. I'm, this is me being a moralist, I suppose. No, I understand. And the, and the White House today, their response to that was it is Hamas's fault, and they're using them as, as tools for, for propaganda. That's like saying the children in the Children's March of Birmingham, it was their fault that Bull Connor attacked them. We're going to leave it there for the moment. Eddie Glaude, thank you very much. I'm happy you're always the moralist. You bring it back down to earth. That's important. Breaking news this morning, the Gaza Health Ministry tells NBC News that at least 43 Palestinians are now dead. More than 1,900 were injured today alone as protests along the border fence turned quite violent. The protests in Gaza are part of the Great March of Return, a protest idea that went viral online earlier this year, calling for Palestinians to peacefully march on the border, separating the coastal area from Israel. The Israeli Defense Force accused protesters of rioting, throwing explosives, and sabotaging infrastructure. And information from the scene show how outgunned the protesters are, reportedly using burning kites, hand grenades, and stones against drones, armored vehicles, and snipers. Wow. And then, of course, all their pundits had to get in on Twitter. It is official position of Israel and U.S. governments that lethal force is justified for unarmed protesters who approach a border fence with intent to climb it. None of that was true. It seems like the question skips some glaring realities, but maybe that's the point. Sam Stein, I think it's fair to say Trump, their animals combat was in reference to MS-13, not immigrants at large. I think it's also fair to point out that inhumanity of Trump's policy of separating immigrant children from their families and storing them in military warehouses is just like he looks at the Palestinian problem. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. Because that's the next faux outrage. I'm not even playing the soundbite for it. Lawrence O'Donnell with the same concept. Trump treats Palestinians like he treats immigrants. Mohammed Kabi, Hamas is the greatest propagandist in the U.S. 
media. Women's March and celebs, Tamika D. Mallory. We should be walking around with our heads hung in shame. So far, 37 people dead, including four children. While Americans celebrate in Jerusalem, people are dying miles away. This is sick. But we should not be surprised because America turns a blind eye to black deaths and abuse every day. Remember, that is one of the founders of the Women's March. Angry auntie replies to her, it takes a special kind of evil to sacrifice your people for cameras to make a D. Mallory or bravery. Chelsea Handler, now that BB crazies are running the show unchecked and will effectively turn Gaza and left bank into starvation camps or mental asylums, if not already, and bomb Iran into submission, there will be religious terms for this. I think the evangelicals call it the rapture, see? We got, we got a dog, Chris. It's Christian's fault that Palestinians riot and fake shit with crutches and everything. People that couldn't walk ran. Mm. Liberal celebrities, celebrities demand justice for Hamas backed rioters on Twitter. And it's all because they moved the fucking embassies. Here's another list of progressive celebs freaking out over the deaths of Palestinians at Israel-Gaza border because the best way to be belligerent towards conservatives and Israeli supporters is to scream injustice on behalf of terrorist-backed militias, militia, militants, excuse me, on a suicide mission to get across a sovereign nation border. Daily Show co-host Liz Winstead, while not an active member of Moss, seemed to be doing an excellent job of embracing the terror group's propaganda. This impassioned humanitarian tweet, Fuck what is happening as Gaza. It is horrifying. It is a massacre. It should be tolerated by no one. Now, many would agree that it is a tragedy what's going on, but not only at the hands of the Israelis, which is what she is implying. She retweeted Chris Hayes, who implied that maybe it's U.S. and Israel policy to allow the killing of innocent protesters. That would be problematic if not the fact that these unarmed protesters are causing violence and chaos at the behest of Hamas, despite the multiple non-lethal warnings of Israeli guards at the border. Still, will no one look into the fact that Hamas was behind this? Oh, hell no. Judge Apto, our country is part of the dehumanization of the Palestinian people. We must not lose our humanity. Remember when Trump always talked about ISIS chopping heads. But there are no tears for these people and these children. Bette Midler, 52 people die in protest over moving an American embassy to Jerusalem. Thanks, assholes. Your uninformed and demented actions have consequences. Who's it? Rosie O'Donnell, U.S. sanctioned murder afoot in Gaza on Monday as dumb shit Barbie and Ken Kushner and Ivanka smile for the camera. Horror, pure horror. What has the U.S. become under this lunatic? Jeffrey Wright, one of the, the stars of Westworld, also complained about Netanyahu's, Netanyahu's claim that embassy unveiled marked a glorious day. He stated that regardless of your position, that's a heavy devaluation of Palestinian life. I gotta see who Jeffrey Wright is. Who is Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey Wright. He's a black guy. I'll talk about that briefly today. It's fucking horrible. Season two is just fucking horrible. Horrible! Uh, Twitter then defended having terrorist group Hamas on the website. They said it's okay and it's just good to go, but you can't have the opposite. 
Then there's this article. Libs react to Jerusalem embassy moves, sad and enraging. Prime Minister on Twitter back in the States, the media rage. Woman Linda Sassar. Today is a sad and enraging day. Uh, Dean Obadiah, known for some of his most outrageous op-eds on CNN.com, wrote, Great to see so many Palestinian voices on cable news today commenting on the impact of opening an embassy in Jerusalem. I'm being sarcastic. He then followed up, not even a hint of sympathy by Jared Kushner for at least 41 Palestinians killed in Gaza, nearly 1,600 injured. Which is not true. That number is totally inflated. But Matt Dowd, Jesus wept. With the last count of 25 dead and over 1,000 injured, Jerusalem is being used today to divide people and push belligerent policies. Jesus spent much of his time in the sacred city pushing values of compassion and caring humility and a way of love. So he's still bashing Christians for it. Ro Kahana, 52 Palestinians killed. Netanyahu describes it as a glorious day. Even the staunchest supporter of Israel would be appalled by the moral obtuseness of that statement. He has hurt Israel's case with American progressives more than any other Israeli leader in history. No, is American progressives hate Jews. I don't care what you say. They hate them. They hate Zionists. And Zionist has become an evil word. It's horrible, but it's people that want their own state. What's wrong with that? New York Times cover, Israeli, Israel kills dozens. Ari Fleischer, no violence in the West Bank, no violence in Jordan, no protests in Arab streets, only Hamas. Only a terrorist group that urges militants to attack Israel. Terrorists who refuse to recognize Israel's right to exist. And this is how the New York Times covers it. Shame. But the New York Daily News took it to the next level. Daddy's little ghoul with a picture of Ivanka. Yeah. Brennan, the Muslim. And he's in the news a lot lately because now he's a CNN pundit and the guy... It's nervous with the way things are working out. Deaths in Gaza resulted the utter disregard of Messrs. Trump and Netanyahu for Palestinian rights and homeland. By moving embassy to Jerusalem, Trump played politics, destroyed U.S. peacemaker role. New generation of Israeli Palestinians need to isolate extremists to find path to peace. The propaganda talking points have been fully circulated because everybody followed it. Stephen Miller said, it's nice to see when the mask comes off. That's, you know, the, the key point as we hear the media criticize Trump for getting hardline conservatives, uh, chicken hawks, whatever, judges. Look at every person that works for Obama. None of them were objective. That was the CIA head, and he's an uber-lib. An uber-lib who illegally did a lot of shit. We're starting to come to find. There's not a single one that's objective. For eight years, this country was run by hardline progressives. And you never heard the media do articles about it. Keith Ellison, the Muslim extremist. Shocked and dismayed by the lethal force used by Israel troops against mostly unarmed protesters demonstrating at Gaza's border. My statement. 
and his statement is pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. He's a fucking extremist. Then WAPO caught trying to bury the complicity and anti-Israel narrative. Did you hear about the eight-month-old Palestinian infant who died after being exposed to tear gas? The Hill, eight-month-old Palestinian baby among those killed during the deadly Gaza clash. You heard it on everything. According to a Gazan doctor, little girl had pre-existing medical condition. So they stealth edited the article and took it out. No editor's note. They just took it out after it was retweeted a million times. New York Times and LA Times both ran the story. Dr. Hospital lawyer was treated, said she had a pre-existing heart condition that caused her death. But the New York Times never did. Baby girl dies in haze of Gaza, declares the L.A. Times headline, a story that takes up two-thirds of the day's hard copy front page, including photo, above the fold, and they never corrected it. John Hayward. Are any of these terrorist shills even slightly annoyed with Hamas for suckering them with a phony dead baby story? Any soul-searching going on at all for you guys? Is anyone asking what else Hamas has lied to you about? Alex Griswold, in which a WAPO story about Israeli Israel killing a baby becomes a WAPO story, story not about Israel killing a baby without a correction. Praship Shakar. That's why people don't trust journalists. You make a mistake, that isn't a problem. We all make mistakes. You don't go out of your way to fix that mistake. That is a problem. Other false stories that liberals like Page in Oregon probably believe. House and Sidrat struck by machine gun fire from Gaza. The next day, reality, it was struck by these peaceful unarmed protesters. It was one of their machine guns. And Barry Weiss, who's actually objective, a Moss official on Wednesday acknowledged that 50 of the 62 Palestinians reported killed during Gaza border riots on Monday and Tuesday were members of the Islamist terrorist group, bringing the total number of known members of a terror group to 53. 53 peaceful protesters. The media dropped it. Most liberal media, including three networks, breathlessly, breathlessly parroted the unverifiable death and injury totals provided by Palestinian authority without mentioning the fact they're infamous for forging such statistic. Israel has not put out its own official death toll, but officials have questioned the accuracy of Moss provided figures, the time acknowledged. A grade-A example of Moss' diabolical intrigue is in the child supposedly killed by tear gas, in one case, a Gaza doctor, blah, 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 we already covered it. That's not to mention Moran never seemed to question why someone would bring a baby to a literal war zone and how these peaceful protesters brought their baby while they brought machine guns. And the network's continued suggestion that the peaceful protesters were armed with little more than slingshot was also proven horrendously false because eight were killed in a gun battle. Among the dead, the IDF said on Tuesday, were all eight members of a cell 
of armed Hamas operatives. Did they correct themselves? Did they do anything? No. They didn't correct shit. They didn't correct shit. I know. It's modus operatus. This is what the liberal media is. They sided with Russia. They sided with Al-Qaeda. They sided with everybody. But to boldly go out there and falsely rile up the public and then not have the actual integrity to say, hey, yeah, it looks like these weren't peaceful protesters. Or to actually do what they did in interviews, these unarmed people with guns, as you heard in the soundbite. I mean, sweet Jesus. Then, you know, Korea, I want to touch it before we go into the MS-13 craziness. This is an actual article. Vox writer has mental meltdown over possible Trump-Korea success. A big fear for liberals is Donald Trump will fail. A big fear of liberal isn't that Donald Trump will fail, sorry. What really gnaws at them is the extreme fear that Trump will be successful. In the case of Vox senior correspondent Matthew Inglesi, the specific possibility that Trump's policy towards North Korea could prove to be success has inspired a Trump deranged horror in him. You can see the symptoms of the derangement in the very first two paragraphs of his May 14 mental meltdown known as why are we talk, talking why are we taking Donald Trump's Korea diplomacy seriously? Donald Trump is a liar. More than that, he's a fraud. Not just a person who makes factual misstatements, but a person who has gotten ahead in life through extensive use of bullshit, leaving in his wake a trail of broken promises. From his unpaid bills to contractors to his scam university to his brief period ripping off the shareholders, of his company, this is what Trump does. He exploits normal human nature to sucker people into trusting him, and then he exploits his own ever-growing fame and power to get away with breaking the rules. And now his mental meltdown flows into the area of policy. A good clue that we are being set up for some bullshit is that not only is the Trump administration North Korea policy being headed up by Donald Trump, but it has been conducted so far like you would expect a bullshitter to conduct policy. The key turnout, turnabout in the region, after all, has come from the fact that Trump decided to make a large un, un, excuse me, unilateral concession to the North Koreans. As Josh Smith and David Brunston reported for Reuters in March, for at least two decades, leaders of North Korea have been seeking a personal meeting with American president. And across all the timelines, American presidents have been saying no. And yet we got the three American prisoners back with no concession. Back in the real world, meanwhile, Trump isn't a matter, a master strategist keeping the North Koreans off balance. He's an erratic guy with poor impulse control and literal understanding of his issue who does things like blurt out Americans held captive in North Korea and sentenced to serve in labor camps received excellent treatment. Maybe he should have denounced their treatment to enrage North Korea so we'd go back to square one, the article says. And there are at least three big ways this could end up going badly. And he breaks them down. Because he wants him to fail. Let's think for a second back to when the whole world didn't talk to Iran. And Obama wanted to talk to Iran. And our media flipped the script and said, why shouldn't we talk to people? Why don't we talk to people? 
The article goes on for about eight pages, and it just reeks of what I've been saying since day one with Korea. They want him to fail. If he fixes Korea, it looks bad for him. If he fixes anything, it looks bad for him. Because they've been telling us since day one he's the worst president that's ever been president. He's a thief. He's a liar. I mean, do you think you could get away with starting an article of two paragraphs saying Obama was a fucking community organizer, unqualified to do the job, and a liar? You would never be able to do that article. You'd be a racist. You'd be dis- disrespecting the office the President of the United States. And that's all we do now. That's all liberals do. It doesn't matter what the man does. They just demean him. Then there was MS-13. Just like during the election, he is not articulate with what he says. But the man's talking about MS-13 and he calls them animals. The media pounces and portrays it as he calls all illegal immigrants animals. Again, the, the st- it only lasted a little while and they dropped it because they knew they were lying, but they did it on purpose. Before I play sound bites of them doing their liberal fucking virtue signaling, I want to read a liberal's thread on Twitter. The Dank Knight, Cape and Cowl. My brother, his son, and wife traveled to an event, and on their way back, it was dark. My brother let my nephew drive. He was still young and inexperienced. There was a car in front of them driving very slow, so my brother told him to get in the passing lane and go around him. When he did this, the other car tried to speed up and run him off the road. He made it around and kept driving. The car raced up beside them and ran them into a ditch. I'm sure if my brother was driving, it would have been different, but that doesn't matter. I will not... I will not be too afraid of angry drivers to let my kid drive. Five or six people get out of the car. My brother steps out and asks everything's okay. For no reason, this gang tries to kill my brother. They start beating him with rocks and bottles. This isn't Hollywood. Bottles usually don't break in a fight. At this time, my young nephew steps out and screams, begging them to stop. As he tries to pull one of them off, my brother... Two grab him and throw him down a large embankment. Now he's down there listening to screams of his parents. Let me break right here and say I guarantee that people south the border call these fools animals too. If you think I'm being racist by telling facts, beat it. My sister-in-law is trapped in the backseat of the two-door sports car. She sticks her heads out, head out and begs them to stop. They jump on the car and try to pull her out by her hair, ripping her hair out in the process. While my brother is laying there, they stomp, jump on, and kick his head. These animals meant to kill him. They think he's dead, so they try to try again to pull his wife out. I tell you that I believe it was mercy of God Almighty that drove a, a car drove by and they stopped. The other car called the cops and they took my family to the hospital. The cop told them it was MS-13 and they couldn't do much about it, and they didn't. When they got out of the hospital, my brother's head looked like a pumpkin He's already blind in one eye and hurt the other one. There's not many times in life that the old me comes out. There's one of, this is one of those times. I begged him to allow me to get a posse together and find these animals. My brother loves me. He wouldn't allow it. To this day, they haven't got over it. My brother still has bad headaches and my nephew has never been the same. I shouldn't have to tell you that my brother and his wife now carry 
So do me and my wife. None of us want to have to use them, but trust me, we will. This is one of the reasons we all voted for Trump. We got tired of seeing the police say their hands are tied in this matter. There's more to it that I'd rather not talk about. Thank you for hearing me out. It was hard to talk about. If you think I'm racist, you can kiss the south end of the northbound cow, which I don't know what that actually means. But the media, CNN, New York Times, ABC News, C-SPAN, take Trump out of context and suggest he called immigrants animals. Benny. Here's a full clip of Trump's animal comment. The California sheriff was lamenting not being able to report violent MS-13 gang members in his jail. Trump then called those gang members animals. If you're an honest person who cares about facts, you must see this. But that's not what you heard on your TV. I want to share what Trump said yesterday when he was talking about sanctuary cities in California. We have people coming into the country, trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. These are animals. Yeah, look, I, I do want to say, to be fair to Trump, he was referring to the gang members in M13, not just people who are undocumented immigrants, and that's an important distinction. But it's the president who's dominating the headlines on the topic after he referred to some undocumented immigrants as animals. We're going to give you the key context you may have missed on this. These aren't people, these are animals. So that was during uh, a White House meeting on sanctuary cities. The comment came after someone remarked about MS-13 gang members. The president didn't make it clear whether he was talking about gang members or about immigrants in general, though his son Don Jr. was on Twitter saying this was specific to MS-13. California's governor is blasting the president, saying he's lying on immigration, lying on crime. George, I got to say, immigrant communities hear this as a dog whistle, and they say this is downright dangerous language. So President Trump, they're referring to some undocumented immigrants as animals in a roundtable at the White House. But here is the context you need to know about. It came after one sheriff complained about not being able to get rid of gangs and members of MS-13. That was the backdrop of the conversation. And this was not the first time the president has referred to MS-13 as animals. President Trump lashing out during an immigration roundtable at the White House and stirring controversy over his harsh rhetoric toward immigrants, branding them animals. But the White House now says he was referring to the criminal immigrant gang MS-13, not to all immigrants, though he didn't say so. Uh, he certainly didn't make that clear. Whether you're talking about MS-13 or not, or all immigrants, uh, he certainly used the animal phrase quite liberally uh, and frequently when talking about Ill illegal immigrants. The reason that I feel the comments were incendiary is because he's said so many other things in the past that were really inappropriate and horrible. It is such a contentious media environment because he has had so much racially charged language. Animals. That's how the President of the United States describes some who come across the border illegally. We'll also be reminding you of some of the other incendiary and racist things that this president has said. Apparently there's been some confusion over whether the president was talking about all immigrants or whether he was talking about 
MS-13 gang members specifically. This is the type of language he's used before in reference to MS-13, but broadly he has spoken unsparingly in terms of his criticism of immigrants who have come into the United States. This is a product of the president's rhetoric since the day he became a candidate when it comes to immigration. This is a president whose policies separate families at the border, separate women from children, pull people out of their homes, deport them. Those questions will always linger with this president. Why would they lie if they don't pick sides, Chris Saleza? Maggie Haberman, seriously asking, what possible context is there to make Trump their animal comment from yesterday more nuanced? This is the same thing Trump has done since fall 2015. Issue mushy edge statement that is meant to leave an impression, wait for media reaction, then scream he's been taken out of context. Then half the media self-flagates. How many times does this cycle have to get repeated? Most people of there were actually being taken out of context or find a different way of saying things about the first 100 times, particularly when they are president. So it's a bit clever to do. Boy, the media botched this again. Lori Ann, let me get this straight. He needs to change the way he speaks so you can report accurately. That's my statement. Then Sarah Sanders reiterates that Donald Trump was referring to MS-13, not illegal immigrants as a group, as animals. She also said that regard to MS-13, frankly, I think the term animal goes doesn't go far enough. What did the Hill say? Sarah Sanders calling some immigrants animals doesn't go far enough. Not what she said, but that's what the Hill said. Actual headline, White House calling MS-13 animals isn't strong enough. That's not what the tweet said, though. Gabriel Maller, this story is a gift that keeps giving. The Hill, like many other media outlets, seems more determined than ever to go down in flames. But John Harwood, just like the Palestinians, just like Al-Qaeda, just like anybody that the right, Christians, doesn't matter what group it is. However repugnant their actions, MS-13 gang members are human beings, in my humble opinion. That's what he said. Actual headline, New York Times, Trump lashed out at undocumented immigrants during a White House meeting calling those trying to breach the country's borders animals. He never said that. Stephanie Rule on MSDNC attempted to push this inaccurate talking point. She played the clip of Trump saying, these aren't people, they're animals. Former George W. Bush speechwriter Peter Wellner corrected her and the on-screen MSC, MSC graphic, MSNBC graphic, Trump calls some undocumented immigrants animals in a rant. Werner, I do not want to say, I, I do want to say to be fair to Trump, he was referring to gang members, MS-13, and not just undocumented immigrants, and that's an important distinction. Again, Werner is correct. Trump's comments came as he was talking, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Trump's animals response came immediately after this. The New York Daily News distorted the comment with the headline, Trump hurls hates at immigrants. At 1047 Eastern on Thursday, Hallie Jackson obviously commented on the confusion. 
but it's the president who's dominating the headlines on the topic after he referred to some undocumented immigrants as animals. We're going to give you the key context you may have missed. What did we miss? If you listen to the conversation, actually listen to it, they were talking about gangs. Article states, notice that according to the MSDNC host, Trump was still talking about undocumented immigrants. Yet Jackson admitted the president explicitly singled out MS-13. On Good Morning America Thursday, reporter Cecilia Vega, I got to say immigrant, immigrant communities hear this as dog whistle and say this is downright dangerous language. The president didn't, didn't make it clear whether he was talking about gang members or immigrants. Yes, he did. AP on Thursday finally issued a correction. AP has deleted a tweet from late Wednesday on Trump's animals comment about immigrants because it was made clear that he was speaking about comments about gang members. After over 12 hours distorting the comment, it's a little late. Finally, it won't shock many to know that some in the media blame Trump for journalists getting their remarks done. Politico Magazine's Tim Alberta. Awful lot of reporters screwed up Trump's animal remark. It's a result of media climate that feeds on outrage and speed and retweets. But it's also the result of Trump's own history of using racially charged language and a total erosion of any benefit of the doubt. How did that erode? Oh, he won the election. That's how. Okay. Anna Navarro. Should Donald Trump drop out of the race? Yes. He should drop out of the human race. He is an animal. Apologies to animals. Same day all this is going down. Anna Navarro. Man, yet another instance of Ashlogber Law being a racist pig. Only place this guy is going to be able to get a date is in NYC is through Trump dating. Pig? You just said calling people animals was wrong. Another person. That's real bad. She's calling a Jewish person, one, racist, two, a pig. But the winner, winner, chicken dinner and all this was D Triple C's Tyler Hansen. He tweeted, Trump, we're talking, we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. And what picture did they put up? Immigrants, families, little kids. Everything is political for the libs. Everything's political. Then we move on to the shooting. Here is some shooting statements that I, wow. Now, it's unclear what the president will do in response to the school shooting in Texas. Mr. Trump has backed away from any kind of substantial gun control measures, despite initially sounding supportive of those kinds of laws in the days after the massacre in Parkland, Florida, back in February. That was when the president toyed with the idea of restricting firearm purchases uh, to people under the age of 21 years old, among, among other measures. But the president appeared to reverse course on the issue of gun control after meeting with the National Rifle Association. And, Wolf, we should uh, point out, uh, speaking to the NRA earlier, Earlier this month, uh, Mr. Trump reverted to his past rhetoric on the gun issue, saying, quote, your Second Amendment rights are under siege, and they will never be under siege as long as I am your president. So it sounds like uh, if you go off of what the president has been saying recently, that he's not really in the mood for any kind of new gun control measures. We should also point out, Wolf, the flag has been lowered to staff, half staff over here at the White House. Wolf, lots of expressions of thoughts and prayers from politicians across Washington. But, Wolf, uh, unfortunately, after too many of these uh, school shootings, these massacres, 
massacres across the country. No solutions coming out of Washington to solve this problem. Wolf. Here we are again. You know, I was thinking about the show you all put together at Meet the Press three months or so ago after Parkland yeah. when you said, is this time different? And part of that was because of the activism of the young students there at yeah. Parkland who we continue to hear from. We talked about all the elements of this mental illness. We talked about guns. We talked about school safety and the rest of it. What hope do you have, Chuck, this time something can be done, not just on guns, but on the totality of everything that changes this dynamic in our country? I, I you know, at this point, you don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm until it seems as if every time you the brick wall you hit on this subject always goes to the issue of access to guns. Right. right. Because you can't. No matter how you look at this statistically, you keep coming back to the issue of it's how people get their access to guns. And when you try to make the conversation about that, that's when the political walls come up. And I think we, you end up hitting that brick wall uh, of being able to get anything done. That said, Willie, Governor Abbott's rhetoric was different this time than it's been in previous shootings, just like Governor Rick Scott's rhetoric was different after Parkland right. than it was. And here you have Governor Abbott having these roundtable discussions. This is second mass shooting he's had to deal with in just the last seven months, the Sutherland Springs Church shooting. So, you know, you, there's two ways you could look at it. You could say, geez, nothing's been done, or this is how change happens. It's incremental, and it's, it, it, it's small, but this is a rhetorical change at a minimum that you, you should at least acknowledge that's taking place down in Texas. And there were some real changes in Florida after Parkland in terms right. of raising the age uh, to buy long guns and things like that. So we will see here. It's still unbelievable for me that that's all they cover on shootings, changing the laws, repealing rights of legally law-abiding citizens who own weapons. After reading that tweet by a liberal about what some people are facing with MS-13 and crime in our country. But I'll give props to Esquire. This is from an editor of Esquire. Hey there, NRA. Listen, I know the moment after a gunman opens fire in a school are hectic for you. You have to get your talking points together. You have to mentally prepare to debate a traumatized yet sensible child. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and practice saying that more guns would have made the situation less deadly. It's a busy time. And since we are always either in the moment after or the moment before a mass shooting, you're pretty much always busy, I've noticed. Anyway, I just want to drop you a line and let you know that I now actually do want to take your guns, all your guns, right now. That, that's how far they're going. And once again, the same litany of strict rights for law-abiding citizens take all the guns, came out. But buried in this, and what you didn't hear, was AG conservative. I'm wondering if those who are quick to blame political rhetoric for the actions of deranged shooters will have anything to say about this one. Police shot a man at Trump Doral National Golf Club earlier this morning. The man reportedly shouted anti-Trump rhetoric and opened fire in the lobby. People could have been killed. So where's the outcry from the left and gun control advocates about the dangers of violent political rhetoric? The same day this shooting happened, Arnie Duncan. This is brilliant and tragically necessary. What if no children went to school until gun laws changed to keep them safe? My family is all in if we can do this at a scale. Parents, will you join us? That's how far they're gone.
We're going to move all our kids from school. Hmm. Then Anna Navarro with the lies. This is the 22nd school shooting in the United States in 2018. How heartbreaking. It's totally false. Judd Legum was the first to run it. His number is 22. There have only been 20 weeks in 2018. Yusuf Smith, goddamn dude, counting BB gun shooting is not helping your cause. Why can't you people just be honest? Alex Isabel truly amazes me how we can't regulate guns, but we can find every way to regulate vaginas. That was retweeted 75,000 times. It's like they just repeat stuff. None of it's true, but they don't care. They just keep running it over and over and over and over. And it's never about how the fuck the kid get the gun. How? Jimmy Kimmel, once again, pushed false stance. It just intellectually dishonest. New York Times, an ever-growing body of research, consistently reaches the same conclusion. The only variable that can explain the high rate of mass shootings in America is the astronomical amount of guns. Mike Joliet, frontman of a band, Airborne Toxic Event, he came out. You can blame victims, blame doors, blame mental illness, blame ex-girlfriends, but there's one undeniable fact at work. More guns equal more death in every city, every state, every country. And that is false. Caitlin, in fact, the states with a higher rate of gun ownership have drastically lower overall violent crime. The states with stricter gun control have higher rates of violent crime. As for deaths by guns specifically, there is no correlation either way. They... Just make it up. It's not true. It's never true. It, I, I, that's why I'm not even covering it. I'm not covering it. It's tragic. But it's not the problem. The problem is what is wrong with kids that they do this? The problem is how are they getting their hands on the guns? Not that we have guns. How are they getting a gun? How does a parent not know that their kid has a gun? I'm doing a review of 13 Reasons Why Season 2 where they stop a school shooting. And they were so conscious of it, they stopped the red carpet event. Because they're afraid they'll be blamed for a school shooting. But it's deeper than guns. Once again, not to sound like a gun nut, cars kill more people, but we're not banning cars. It is political. That's why you lose the argument. It's people from red states like guns and God, and you hate God and guns. To a music break and into our tweets of the day. Hi, hi, howdy, howdy, hi, hi. Well, everyone is mine, so you could call me Multiply. Just so you know, 
Yes, yes, I'm that guy. You could give her fingers and I'm not waving high. Yes, I'm never ending. You could call me pie. But really, how long till the world realize? Yes, yes, I'm the best. Fuck what you heard. Anything less just. I will say I'm sorry. It is good to burn. More like an eagle. This is my movie stay tuned for the sequel. Seems so wrong. Seems so illegal. Got this in the back like a foul ball free throw. Yep, yep, you know that I go. This is me on the regular, so you know. This is me on the regular, so you know. Yep, yep, you know that I go. This is me on the regular, so you know. This is me on the regular, so you know. I come with the tip, with the blow, with the boom. And if you're in my way, there's nothing but boom. Ain't got no time for your ratchet ass boom. To just settle down, listen to my tunes. Ever since I was eight, I was attached to the mic. Wanted a guitar before I wanted a bite. Had an apple phone, talking fish for price. Never seen a song, cause I'm up all night. Really, really? Really, really? You wanna talk shit, but you know that I am really, really to the fullest. You can call me cancer, no more talk to choice, cause I'm the only answer. Ain't got no wallet, only use your advance. You know my trick is right, cause there's a nigga dance. You wanna get at me, but you don't stand a chance. And if you wanna fuck up, yes, you can get your hands. Here to get the bird, more like an eagle. This is my movie, stay tuned for the sequel. Seems so wrong, seems so illegal. Got this in the back like a foul ball free throw. Yep, yep, you know that I go. This is me on the regular, so you know. The show for normal Americans. Tweets of the day, Richard W. Painter. What was the point of revolution if subjects of the British crown get single-payer health care and university education at a fraction of what it cost us, and we are stuck with a president guilty of treason, bribery, and other crimes, and a Congress unwilling to get rid of him? That's a lot of Trump derangement syndrome. Basically, he's saying we shouldn't have had the revolution. Wow. AP, breaking Seattle City Council approves tax on large businesses such as Amazon and Starbucks to fight homelessness. There you go. Push companies out of your city. Nice job. Amber Athey, stereotyping immigrants to own the conservatives. This is a tweet by Shannon Watts. Harry Katakachakian retweeted it. Nice of Shannon Watts to admit she believes immigrants come to America to clean her toilets and vote Democrat. Here's a tweet. Let's play a game. Go to Walmart. Take a 10 to 15 of your family members. Ask them to clean the restroom for eight hours for $7.25 an hour. 
when they throw a tantrum and remind them that they said they wanted the jobs, they're so fearful of being stolen by undocumented immigrants. If Trump says MS-13's animals, how the fuck isn't that wrong? Somebody out there in the liberal world? Chad Pegram, grassly on releasing the transcript of interviews on Trump Tower. The public has a right to know, and the public can go through these 2,000 pages and make up their own mind, draw their own conclusion. They don't have it; have to have it deciphered by Congress. Sean Davis does our Tweet of the Day thread. Judging by the testimony of participants at Trump Tower meeting, the whole thing was a nothing burger. This Russian dirtbag, he had dirt on illegal Clinton contribution. Trump Jr. asked for proof. She had none, and everyone lost interest in what she had to say. The dirt Valensky offered was that a bunch of money from an illegal Russian tax scam was being illegally funneled to the DNC and the Clinton campaign. Trump Jr. asked how the money ended up with DNC Clinton. Valensky's response, hell, I don't know. At that point, according to testimony from Renat Amashikin, not at all a fan of Team Trump, Donald Trump Jr. instantly lost interest. To recap, a shady Russian lawyer working with Fusion GPS set up a meeting with Trump officials to share dirt which was really just an excuse to whine about the Magnitsky Act. She had no dirt. The Trump officials sniffed that out pretty quickly and everyone moved on. There's an unmistakable commonality. So many of these Russian collusion stories, wild and anonymous accusation of treason spark hysteria, then are used to justify law enforcement investigations. Then we find out what was reported isn't at all what really happened. A fun aside, two of the Russian-connected people in that meeting, we're quite close with Team Clinton. Renat Amishkin is BFFs with Ed Lieberman, whose wife was a longtime Clinton White House staffer, and Ike Kavelzda and his whole family voted for Hillary. These transcripts show why all the hysterical, why didn't the Trump campaign immediately report this meeting to the FBI nonsense was so fake and contrived, because it's obvious Veleshnikia was blowing smoke and her primary goal was just to whine about the Magnitsky Act. Yawn. You can even see this in the notes Manafort took of the meeting. The whole purpose of the meeting was to slime Bill Browder to attack the Magnitsky Act. Same with the mention of Russian adoptions. Goldstone promised that Hillary Dirt was just a ruse to get the meeting. It's no wonder the Democrats on Judiciary Committee refused for months to release all these transcripts. They completely undermine the collusion narrative and the Trump Tower meeting place in, in it. Chuck Ross, seeing Manafort's Trump Tower notes with my own eyes, it's all the more embarrassing that NBC News got the story so badly wrong in August. Even NBC's correction on the story was wrong. On left is NBC correction, on right Manafort's notes seem most likely that he meant to write active sponsors of DNC. Sean Davis, yep, because the laughably fake dirt offered by Velishnikia was that Browder and others had helped to illegally funnel a bunch of tax fraud money to the DNC. And that's a tweet of the day on any day. Tweet of the day! 
Well, first of all, you know, I'm dying. Amy, you're dying. We're all dying. We, all we just are. don't know when. And I think, frankly, what's happening here is that the White House is irritated that John McCain is not dying of cancer. He's living with cancer. And he is choosing to make every single day on this earth something that's meaningful and counts. And he is still confronting Donald Trump for his outrages. He is still speaking conscience and conviction and principle. He is reminding Republicans what we used to be. It's very irritating, I suspect, to the White House on this torture issue because McCain speaks with a moral certitude that few can. Uh, that of a man who was actually tur tortured for years, who has experienced it in his own bones and his own skins and has got the literal scars to show for it. So, no, John McCain is not dying with cancer. He is mm -hmm. living with cancer. But it Our hate tweets start with the animal from hell. Sad news. Retweet AP. First Lady Melania Trump has been declared legally dead after not regaining consciousness during a routine ass surgery on Monday afternoon. The elective procedure would have enlarged and smoothed the First Lady's hole. She was 48 years old. That's a rando. But did it sound any different than Anna Navarro? TDS is a terrible thing. They need to come up with some medication. I'm sure we can cure it. Washington Post book review by NPR anchor revises history of video scam on Planned Parenthood. I'm not going to read the whole article. It's very large. But the fact of the matter is, there's now they're now doing the liberal thing. They're rewriting history. Running books about how it's all a lie. Nothing ever happened. The Daily Wire broke a story about a young black man who was attacked in a cheesecake factory restaurant because he was black. That's usually how the story goes, right? But it's not. It's because he was wearing a mega hat. Ryan Saavedra. Flack factory employees attack black man. On Mother's Day, employees at Cheesecake Factory in Miami, Florida, verbally attacked and made threatening gestures toward a black man who dined with his girlfriend's family simply because he was wearing a mega hat according to multiple witnesses interviewed by the Daily Wire. The Sunday incident alleged began at a cheesecake factory located in Daydale, Dadeland, excuse me, Mall, when a 22-year-old Eugenio Joseph was seated while wearing his mega hat. According to multiple witnesses in Joseph's own account, a woman who worked at the restaurant walked up to him and started pointing to his hat, signaling for other employees to come over. Her finger were literally on top of the head. We were all looking at her like, what is happening? One witness told the Daily Wire. She was pointing at him, calling her other co-workers, telling them to look at this guy wearing a mega hat. After Savadra, Savadra broke the story, Tariq Nasheed called the story fake news. His tweet, at this fake, at this fake news from extremely non-reputable site, the Daily Wire. Savadra tweets back, hey Tariq. You suggested the other day that I made up a story about the black man being attacked inside a cheesecake factory for wearing a Trump hat. Here's an official statement from the company admitting it happened and saying they fired employees over it. Their statement. All guests should always feel welcome in our restaurants. The recent incident in one of our Miami restaurants fell short of our standards. We apologize to guests and the family. Two individuals are no longer employed by the company and we are continuing to investigate. Huh. What did you think Tariq said back? Even the link you posted showed the Cheesecake Factory admitted that many of the fake media stories about what happened was inaccurate. So you posting links for fake news site and white supremacist agenda taint any credibility. 
Ryan Saavedra, Tariq, thinks that an article that was written by a Latino, myself, and was published on a website founded by a Jewish man, Ben Shapiro, is promoting white supremacy. I'm Jeff tweeted, when Tariq stubs his toe, he thinks he's a suspected white supremacist. Now, I want you to take this in the context. What if he was wearing a Hopi changey hat and a bunch of white people did it? You'd know about that, wouldn't you? But you liberals out there listening to the show, you never heard that story. Because Daily Wire is white supremacist because that's what you're told every day. Everything other than ABC, NBC, CBS, MSDNC, and CNN are all white supremacists. J.R. Saltzman does a hate tweet towards Twitter. Let's break it down. Hi, Jack. I'd like to have a public conversation with you about the fact you suspended my account for the last 12 hours and the bias and hypocrisy you demonstrated in doing so. Sent you an email, but I'm guessing you ignored it like you always do. I'm doing this publicly for a few reasons. First, I'm a big fan of openness and transparency. Second, to show from a user's point of view how completely unfair and imbalanced the application of your rules have been. It all started with a tweet from a friend of mine. He posted screenshots where an individual sent him some nasty DMs, calling him a fucking disgrace, and then blocked him before he could respond. Apparently, that wasn't enough for an individual in question. Not only did he attack my friend and then block him before he could respond, but he did the exact same thing to his boss and the publication he works for. I saw both of these, and I was left wondering, what kind of person does this? Check to see if I've ever had any interaction with them. All I could find was some random tweet, yet for some reason the person had me blocked. So I went back to the original thread of my friend and responded with a tweet where I characterized the individual sending nasty messages as having thin skin. So imagine my surprise this morning to find out my account had been suspended by the very individual who was sending nasty DMs to people, calling them a fucking disgrace before blocking them. It blew my mind just how hypocritical this is. It also blew my mind to see how Twitter responded to the entire thread. It's right there, what he said and did. But somehow me calling him thin skin was considered targeted harassment. This is why people hate the platform and constantly scream about bias. The reality is, I regularly get horrible messages sent to me, but I never even bother reporting them anymore. I literally get death threats and threats of physical violence and horrible things said to me. Yet, Twitter never does anything. A tweet, he tweeted. For an example, Maggie, did they leave some shrapnel in your brain? Hmm. Which begs the question, how is it that an individual has a history of sending awful things to people in DMs, able to get people suspended for things that don't even qualify as breaking the rules? Again, Twitter support and Jack, there's a clear pattern of this. It's somehow, he got me suspended. Can you explain exactly how that works? How and why is your platform allowing this? These are legitimate questions that need answers. Again, post this all publicly because I don't expect a response via email. I like openness and transparency. I also think you need to see, from user perspective, just how flawed and uneven you apply your rules. Over and over. I have reported all sorts of shit. Some rando liberal listens to my podcast and has a TDS meltdown via DM. Nothing happens. I checked that person, so I never block people, and, and they're they're just fine. It's Twitter. You can say whatever you want as long as you have a blue check next to your name. Caitlin Bennett's or other hate one. Now that I graduated from Kent State, I can finally arm myself on campus. 
I shouldn't have been able to do so as a student, especially since four unarmed students were shot and killed by government on this campus. Campus carry now. I have no apologies for my graduation photo. As a woman, I refuse to be a victim, and the Second Amendment assures that I don't have to be. Wouldn't it be awkward of the people calling my AR-15 and my grad photo assault rifle found out assault rifles are banned and the AR-15 fires at the same rate as a modern pistol? Don't talk about gun control when you can't even get your facts straight. I could address the fact that my rifle is not an assault weapon, but I'm much more concerned that you just said you'd rather kill me than let me take a photo on campus. Hmm. Here's the replies. So you're white trash. Someone needs to take you out. Like literally barf, you're disgusting, and my new number one enemy. If I ever saw you beat the shit out of you, no need for a gun. Just my fist knocking some sense into your brainless ass. Caitlin Bennett. Gun control advocates are trying to call me violent for my graduation picture that promotes the the right to self-defense. Meanwhile, I'm getting threatening messages like this in my inbox. From these very same people. Has Tanner from the latest KKK youth meeting texted you back yet? You'll be a victim when someone mistakes you for a wild hog. I can't wait for her to shoot an innocent black student for existing at school instead of just calling the cops. This armed white woman is truly is really truly safe now that she can kill a room of innocent black people whenever she pleases. That's the responses. Hmm. Philip Klein sums it up. If only we could get the left to hate Hamas as much as they hate law-abiding citizens who carry AR-15s. It'll never happen. Because they hate you. Hypocrisy! Hey, um, uh, Trump addict. I think I'm willing to admit that. I think all roads lead to Trump right now. But you pointed out in a recent column that that can be a problem. How so? So, I mean, and let me express my own addiction as well. You know, <laughs> my, my wife and I, we find ourselves, our pillow talk is sometimes about Trump. But, oh, terrible. Uh, but I do think that we have to acknowledge that there is so much more happening in the world than Donald Trump. And we in the media are essentially all Trump all the time. And, and frankly, it's a little rude to say this, but I think cable television is, is particularly true of cable TV. It is, yeah. yeah. And the upshot is that we risk not covering a lot of really important things at home and around the world. And we complain that President Trump is, you know, is parochial, isn't paying attention to important things around the world. And we're absolutely right. But that can also be said about us. Well, there's always been a critique of the American press that's too focused on politics, Washington inside baseball, and not focused enough on real-world issues that affect communities. And I guess the point is that's even more true now because Trump sucks up all the oxygen. I think that's part of it. And also, I think, frankly, that there's obviously a crisis in journalism. And our old business model has been collapsing. And then along came Trump, and he's 
a bit of the solution to our to our business model. As long as we have cameras focused on him, then audiences will follow. That is Brian Seltzer, of course, and Bill Crystal. Kristoff, excuse me, uh, saying they're Trump addicts, and it's pretty obvious by the way they cover shit. CNN politics starts off hypocrisy. Mueller's office collected more than a trillion bytes of data related to the indicted, indicted Russian individuals and companies' use of social media to influence the 2016 presidential election. Why would you use bytes? Usually it's gigabytes. And that's all it was, 1,000 gigabytes. But that's pretty fucking stupid. Free Beacon, very good idea for government to regulate. Who said it? Uh, could it be Keith Ellison? Are you favoring the government actually regulating the relationship between CEO paying and average worker? I think it's a very good idea, and I think we should start talking about it. Because that's all they want to do is regulate and tighten up the damn economy, which Trump untightened. But, you know, hey. That's fine. Here's some profiles and bias. First, the Today Show with Savannah Guthrie saying, somehow, some way, there's not enough people to look up to nowadays in Trump because it's just so bad. And Chris Cuomo is on my shit list because we're going to have another soundbite where he literally says the killer of Kate Stengel, who was an immigrant, illegal immigrant, that's totally irrelevant. Has nothing to do with anything. I mean, it's not talk about the fact that he shouldn't have been in the country, which means he shouldn't have killed Kate Stingle. But you know what the fuck? Facts do get in the way, don't they, Chris? In 1957, then Senator John F. Kennedy won the Pulitzer Prize for his book Profiles and Courage. It celebrated the actions of eight senators who made tough political choices to do what was right, even though it hurt their popularity and their careers. And since 1989, the Kennedy family and the JFK Library Foundation have awarded the Profile and Courage Award to celebrate elected officials who've made similar choices. And here to talk about this year's recipient is Jack Schlossberg, President Kennedy's grandson. You know, I mean, you think about politics these days. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, for years your family's been giving out this award, if there are fewer and fewer examples of courage. I mean, is the pool getting smaller from, from acts to choose from? But as you know, for every sob story, we have 73% border assault increase. Uh, we have people like Kate Steinle. I mean, where is the compassion for the flip side of this conversation? I also reject the notion that you, if you don't, if you care about these children, you don't care about Kate Steinle. No. We actually are capable no. of having compassion for both. Yeah. Yes. Of but course. Well, but Kate Steinle has always been uh, a gross misappropriation of the tragedy that ended her life. Uh, it doesn't meet with the facts of the situation. The facts of what happened to Katie Steinle only make sense on one level, which is but for. But for that guy being in this country when he shouldn't have been, she would have never died. But the facts of it, uh, he was not, you know, the idea of what he was painted as, that there is a monster in our midst and there's so many just like him. The facts don't line up on it. And it's always been a gross abuse of the situation. But I, I just don't even understand the media. AP publishes virtual press release promoting California's solar panel mandate on all new homes. They even put out fake shit that you'll save $19,000, but what they don't realize and they don't really expound upon, it's going to cost you ten grand to do it. They go into this jujitsu math that doesn't really explain how painful it's going to be. Next is the New York Times, who did an expose defending the FBI spying on Trump. 
the Federalists did a 10-point how they fucked it up. Number one, FBI officials admit they spied on Trump. They said they did, so why would you defend it? Two, terrified about looming Inspector General report, which is showing they fucked up. Three, still no evidence of collusion with Russia. In paragraph 69 of the lengthy story, the New York Times takes itself to task for bearing the lead in its October 31st, 2016 story about the FBI not finding any proof of Russia meddling. Four, four Trump affiliates were spied on. They ignore it. Five, wiretaps national security letters in at least one spy, which is a Obama-ite. She's being released. Her picture's everywhere. I'm not covering it. Six, more leaks about top-secret government informants. Seven, ignorant of basic facts. Eight, insurance. How does it work? The story reminds reader that Zork once texted Page, want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, there's no way he gets elected, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the event you die before you're 40. Remember, that's that, that's their words. This was insurance, so he'd never be president. Nine, eavesdropping, not spying, and other friendly claims. It's still spying. And ten, affirms fears of politicized intelligence. The New York Times story may have, may have been designed to inoculate the FBI against revelations coming out of the Inspector General report, but the net result was to affirm the fears of many Americans are worried about the U.S. government's law enforcement and intelligence agencies abuse their powers to surveil and target Americans simply for their political views and affiliation. The gathered information has been leaked to media for years, leading to damaged reputations and the launch of limitless probes, but not any reason to believe that Trump colluded with Russia to steal an election. They've already moved past it. They're on to trying to find business ties. They're trying anything. Dan America is our next one. We have to win back the Congress, Hillary Clinton said Friday at DNC event. I'll be there with you every step of the way because we're going to take back the country we love. Remember when Trump said that? That started the whole Van Jones whitewashing of America. You fucking hypocrites. Eric Trump. Really read stuff, but this is a good one. I like to take this opportunity to remind everyone why CNN is a complete joke. Specifically, they failed to disclose that they are comparing a 12-month period this year's report against last year's report, which covered 16 months. They try to do a hit piece about golf course. After Eric Trump Jr. tweeted this, CNN Politics, a previous tweet about President Trump's income from his golf course has been deleted. The story has been updated to address an inaccurate comparison of two different time periods. Ah. <laughs> the end of the article. Who's up for another apple and banana lecture? Yeah, I'd like to see one. CNN Don Lemon caught palling around with, wait for it, the porn lawyer. Yeah. They show pictures of them hanging out, having a good time with Avanti. Is that what you should be doing? Hmm. This one ends. This is CNN. This is their Apple. To our media mash, CNN Trevor Noah on to demean Prez as an asteroid penis. That's my notes. That's what he says. 
Christina Amamamamamamamamamabhor, Trump threat to journalism. MSDNC back on, we need to be decent, even though they accuse people of killing people and call all NRA members fucking terrorists. Yeah, okay. MSDNC, a pro-life dem, is too conservative from them. The reporter actually fucking says it. All right, really hard last question. Do you have a favorite joke about the president? I think my favorite joke that encapsulates how I observe and process the Donald Trump presidency is this. I say, I wake up most days terrified at the notion that Donald Trump is the most powerful president in the world. I also wake up most days acknowledging that he's also going to make me laugh. And that's what's difficult for me is that he's an emotional paradox. And I've come to realize it's like this. I think it's almost like there's an asteroid headed towards the Earth, but it's shaped like a penis. I think I'm going to die, but I know I'm going to laugh. You're going to die laughing? Could be both. You know, Brian, I have been talking about this ever since the president was elected. Even before he was inaugurated, I made a big speech at the Committee to Protect Journalism in November of 2016, warning American journalists that there was now a grave and existential threat to their work. Hopefully, because the United States has a constitutionally protected journalism and a constitutionally protected press by the First Amendment, that the press will keep its spine and refuse to bend over to these kinds of threats, or whether they're jokes or whatever. I don't think this administration is going to take away uh, journalist credentials. If they do, I expect the, fu- the press to fight back in no uncertain terms, or to gather forces outside and continue to be able to report in a very, very strong, unbiased, facts, not fiction kind of way uh, for as long as it takes. I really think, you know, what April said both about Fox and also about, you know, pulling credentials in the past and banning certain people from rallies is really important because on the one hand, I think it should be one for all and all for one. If one of our members is is targeted, we should all rise up and stand with those members. That's what gives us strength. That's what not happened Mm. during the campaign and it should have happened when various uh, news organizations were banned from rallies. Everybody should have got together and said, we're all in this together. Secondly, about just giving interviews to the, you know, to the channels of choice. All I can say about that is it becomes an echo chamber, as April was saying, and this is not just an academic exercise. If you remember all the way back to the George W. Bush uh, administration, they just really sort of mostly talked to Fox. Fox, I called uh, the foot soldiers of the George W. Bush administration, leading and helping and, 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 and beating the drums to a war in Iraq, which was based on specious and false uh, intelligence and a manipulation of intelligence and basic Not for nothing, but what I've seen the past two and a half years from the campaign trail up until now, if there's one thing that's really suffered because of Donald Trump's candidacy and now his presidency, it's decency. Um, on the campaign trail, I would routinely see people say um, pretty terrible things about the opposing candidates or terrible things to the press. I saw men wearing shirts that said Hillary Clinton is a C-word. I heard a man yell, assassinate that B, but the actual word on Hillary Clinton in the middle of a Donald Trump rally. And nobody looked at that man and said, hey, maybe that's a little too much. Uh, we routinely saw the president uh, call out the press or tell protesters that they should get out or tell supporters that if they punch protesters, he would pay their legal bills. Decency has been lost uh, with Donald Trump's ascension. And he- is peace possible with this administration, Eamon? 
Look, that, that's a very difficult question for me to answer, but based on what we're seeing on the ground, if you ask the Palestinians, if you ask even the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which is a little bit different because they're the ones who've actually entered into agreements with Israel, the short answer to that is no. In fact, the official statement that came out from the PLO on Wednesday, uh, excuse me, that came out yesterday on the events, uh, it simply said that the American embassy moved to Jerusalem is a full-fledged support of Israel now becoming an apartheid By many accounts, you are the front-runner for the uh, congressional seat here in the Democratic primary. But your critics say you're too conservative. They say you're conservative on immigration, you're conservative on abortion, you're pro-life. Uh, and you reached out to the Trump administration asking for a position in the transition on Twitter uh, after he was elected. So why are you the Democrat that can win in November? Greg Edwards, who we just met in the piece, is an unabashed progressive. Are you a progressive, sir? No, I would not call myself a progressive. I'm a moderate Democrat, and I'm reaching out to the middle because I believe that's how we solve problems. To our Bias 101, Jim Acosta, I dare Trump to let me interview him. CNN Chief White House Correspondent Jim Acosta challenged President Trump to grant him a one-on-one interview. I dare him to sit down with me, Acosta said during an interview with Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, this is such good journalism. Despite his confrontational manner in the briefing room, Acosta Kimmel he has a professional relationship with former White House Press Secretary Sean Spiker. Spicer and Sarah Sanders, but he said they weren't bowling buddies after hours, a similar dynamic he shared with communication staffers serving the Obama administration. We try to have a good relationship. This is a job. I think she understands that. Costa said he wore his reputation asking tough questions as a badge of honor, adding that he didn't feel sorry for White House communication aides because they should be held accountable if they lie to the American people. They signed up for this, he said. I welcome their hatred which spurred conservative articles, reality check. Was CNN Jim Acosta really as tough on Obama? Does anybody out there believe that to be true? Well, let's just listen to Inauguration Day 2009. And obviously this is uh, this is the moment that everybody is waiting for on Inauguration Day when the President and the First Lady step out of their limo and walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, you know, it, I, I feel I feel like I should pitch myself right now, Wolf. I can't believe I have this, uh, this vantage point of history in the making. So you're literally, what, about 15, 20 feet away from the President? I'm, I'm probably a good, uh, I would say, 50 feet away from the President right now, Wolf. Oh, but I see very, that. very close. Now, having said Chuck Todd did the right thing because Chuck Todd, you know, brought him on, at least asked him a hard question. My question, would these people get on TV in the Obama era? Would Meet the Press give a whole block to them? Would they be given airtime? And the answer is no. So as we go out to our stats of the day, here's another example. Aaron Burnett brings on hate that lady from Oakland who obstructed justice in an ice raid, and she gets a softball interview on CNN. So uh, the president, of course, has picked on you personally, and that's why Congressman King uh, went after you, right? At the California Sanctuary State Roundtable last week, President Trump said you should be investigated for obstruction of justice. You warned these people, a thousand of them, they, they, they all fled, most of them fled, those are his words, says you should be investigated for obstruction of justice. 
What do you say? That is a ridiculous statement that has come from our president. And it's just further political theater. The, the accusation that I personally, that, that the warning that I gave, which was very general, uh, the idea that that caused uh, any amount of people to not be apprehended as part of that uh, operation just cannot be true. The president, uh, of course, Congressman King, Attorney General Sessions, they all agree on one crucial thing. They say that by tipping off immigrants, officials like you are putting law enforcement official lives in danger. Are you sure that they're wrong? Is that fear-mongering or is there truth in it? Um, well, there has been a lot of fear-mongering by this administration. Uh, ICE itself confirmed that there were no injuries at all during this operation to ICE agents. As you say, significant that ICE would confirm there were no injuries. Uh, Paul, you did speak today with Rudy Giuliani. Uh, he says the special counsel's office told him it cannot indict a sitting president. Talk more about that. Well, that's significant because there is currently an opinion at the Justice Department that says you cannot criminally indict a sitting president. And Giuliani says that Mueller has told him that he will abide by that opinion. And Mueller's boss, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, has publicly said he will also abide by that opinion. So some good news for the president. Yeah, and with a political blockbuster tonight, presidential attorney Rudy Giuliani says special counsel Robert Mueller is promising to follow Justice Department guidance that a sitting president cannot be indicted. This obviously has impl implications for the Russia collusion probe and may come as a seismic disappointment to some of President Trump's critics. Chief White House correspondent John Roberts starts us off with the breaking details tonight from the North Lawn. Good evening, John. Brett, good evening to you. I spoke with Rudy Giuliani on the telephone in the last hour, and he confirmed to Fox News that about two weeks ago, the special counsel Robert Mueller assured the president's outside legal team that he would follow DOJ guidelines that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Giuliani says that Mueller doesn't really have any choice. He has to follow the, the uh, findings of a 1999 Clinton-era DOJ memo. Now, that's not to say that Mueller still couldn't find some evidence of wrongdoing that Congress could act on, but the president's legal team doesn't appear concerned. Giuliani telling Fox News a short time ago, quote, this case is essentially over. They're just in denial. We start with that fact that you can't indict a president, but why do you think the media played it that way? Wouldn't you expect a little more hashtag resist? The reason why they're not indicting him is there's nothing to indict him on. You can guarantee Mueller's team of Democrats with the media Democrats and the, polit all the political Democrats they would indict him. They'd find a way around the law. They've been finding a way around the law since day one. That's what Obama's pen and fucking Blackberry comment was about. There's nothing there. But yet every expert says, regardless of that fact, if the House turns Democrat, they're going to impeach him. They have nothing to impeach him on, but they're going to do it. 
I just hope the American people punish him for it like they did the conservatives back in Clinton's time. To our stats, average price of U.S. gas jumps 10 cents, $3 a gallon. Why is that? Is it because of Trump's policy in the Middle East? It's Memorial Day, people. It always jumps. ABC ignores their own poll again that Americans give no shits about a Russian investigation. But they still cover it. You know, fuck it. Then there was this by David Roberts. Yes, finally, Paul Waldman has said the thing that needs to be said. You could thank him for his tweet thread being about 75% shorter. Why Democrats can't win the respect of Trump voters. I'm going to read this because it's important. We're 18 months after an election. Nothing's changed. So much talk about Democrats' message to rural and suburban whites and the way they treat rural and suburban whites, 99% of which proceeds in total willful ignorance of the current media environment. To put it bluntly, Democrats have virtually no control whatsoever over what rural and suburban whites hear. None. It doesn't matter. What they say, what attitudes they take, the tone they use, the message they craft, they have no way of reaching the RSW directly. Everything RSW know or hear about Democrats or liberals to get through the media filter. That mostly means Fox. And Fox is a business of crafting ludicrous, bug-eyed, cartoon, evil characters of liberals. That is what RSW hear from about them. It's going to pause for a second. Nothing that any right-wing media puts out isn't true. You said it. And if that's the case... This is how biased, arrogant, whatever word you want to use for liberals, what is MSNBC, CNN's pure purpose right now? To make bug-eyed, evil people out of conservatives. That's what they do every day. And then they omit when Democrats are bug-eyed, evil people. They don't even say their fucking party affiliation. To continue... And it's not just right-wing media. Mainstream media like CNN have adopted pretty much the same caricatures. They know that arrogant liberal mock salt-of-the-earth diner guy stories are catchy. They sell. They pop. Everybody knows the character already. There's a reason Obama spent eight years reaching out to the other side, begging for cooperation, being scrupulously respectful towards Republican voters, and one single off-the-record, wildly distorted comment is still all that right-wing people know of him. That didn't just happen. Isn't the result? It is the result of the mainstream media alike peddling the same hackery and morality tale that country mice has been telling about city mice since the there were cities. That impression Obama so at odds with the reality was deliberately and vigorously cultivated. Trump and his kids have a long history of expressing contempt towards worker generally and coal miners specifically. GOP has let coal miners get sick. Oh, he's going on and this bullshit. It fits their narrative. My point is the media wants to reinforce the narrative of snooty coastal libs looking down their nose at Heartland Rubes, and it's very, very much want to. They're no stopping it. There's no way for every single lib to speak so carefully that nothing can be distorted. And conversely, it's hardly matters at all what Dems decide they want to communicate to these people. They can craft empathetic messages till they're blue in the face. They don't control what these people hear. So, on one hand, you can relax about your jokes and tweets and aesthetic judgments. They're not why Trump won. His voters don't see jokey liberal tweets or read lefty media. They don't even see you or your kind directly. They only know you are a character Fox presents, and Fox is heavily invested in their character, financially and ideologically, so it's not like any of the amount of respect respecting on your part is going to persuade to change that character. 
But don't let gaslighting conservatives and onastic centrists fool you into thinking the character is the reality. Fool you into another oh-so-liberal spasm of self-loathing. It's not what liberals do or say, but what Fox says. Actually, liberals exist on cable news almost entirely as phantasms, discussed in abstentia by panels consisting of nonpartisan mainstream journos and right-wingers. They, especially the non-white, non-male kind, are rarely allowed to speak for themselves. Anyway, the whole liberals are smug thing is dumb, dumb, dumb. It's about been around for centuries, and it's always been dumb. It's a narrative that requires no actual liberal smugness to perpetuate itself. Some liberals' libs are smug. Some cons are smug. People are annoying. As always, the best way to stay sane and succeed in politics is to ignore the media circle jerk, as Obama famously did and Trump famously doesn't, and focus on power and policy. Only power and policy matters. Your taste in fucking salad greens really doesn't. The people's response before mine. To realize you spent your entire thread pushing a character of conservatives, right? Also, of rural and suburban folks. Your own hypocrisy makes this thread golden and not in the way you'd like. Mohammed Kabi. No, seriously, Obama saying he had a phone and a pen and that Republicans will have to sit in the back and just come along for a ride was his ingenuous way to reach out and compromise with the other side. Lori Knight, baloney. He and his surrogates blamed any difference of opinions on policies on racism. That shuts down any discussion. Eight years of that kind of sowing, that kind of discord is how we ended up in this divisive nature. I love that tweet. You didn't build that, somebody tweeted. Bitter clingers and I won, another tweeted. Elections have consequences in the day I won. They cling to guns and religion or antipathy to people who aren't like them. The guy that told Christians to get off their high horse at a prayer breakfast. The one who said they cling bitterly to God and guns, to name a few. How's the weather on earth too? And Heather, my God, this entire thread is looked inside another dimension. It's based on no known reality. That's where we are 18 months after an election. They... The problem with liberals is they have no intellectual honesty. They're, they're going for a nirvana that doesn't exist and will never exist on this planet. A non-socialist society that everybody has everything and everything's free and nobody has to pay for anything. Every little group gets all the rights over those people. And more importantly, white men are evil. Rural people are evil. But to actually believe... The media isn't biased to the left. To actually believe Fox News is the reason why your candidate lost. That's, they, they loved Obama because he was them. He thought, he spoke, he acted like them. <clears throat> but the reality is, you can't take away deplorables. You can't take away you didn't build that. You can't take away bitter clingers. Everybody blames Fox, which is anybody who follows the show, I don't watch. I don't watch any cable news. The only cable news I watch is what I put on my show from finding sound bites on the internet. It's Obama's fault. From day one until day whatever the fuck, at the end of eight years, he was on a soapbox disparaging anybody who didn't believe with him. If you weren't a racist... You were a Nazi, you were a Christian. He disparaged everything the red states believe in. 
guns, God. How many times did he blame the Crusades on Islam blowing up the world right now? It's not Fox. It's you. And more importantly, every time you say white, uneducated, rural voters, you're pissing off white, uneducated, rural voters who make this country run. You don't want to speak to them. You want them not to be able to vote. You want to take their gun away from them, and you want to disparage the religious and normal family. Everything you push is abnormal. 14 dads raising a girl. Thought it was good, so I put it there. Other one is Cheryl Atkinson. She did a timeline, and I just want to read just a few of them. If you go to this timeline, it'll blow your mind away about the real collusion story, which is Hillary. Anti-Russian Ukrainian alleged help coordinate and ex- execute a campaign against Trump in partnership with the Democratic National Committee. A Yemen-born ex-British spy reportedly diverted political opposition research against Trump to reporters, John McCain, and FBI. There was orchestrated leaks of anti-Trump information alleged to the press, included by ex-FBI Director James Comey. The U.S. intel community alleged and allegedly engaged in questionable surveillance practices. Alleged conflicts of interest have surfaced regarding FBI officials who cleared Hillary Clinton for mishandling classified information and who investigated Trump's alleged Russian ties. The entire thread can be summed up by Robert Zoll. The timeline of facts clearly prove the DNC and the Clinton campaign colluded with the Obama man-men, the Ukrainian, Russian, CIA, FBI, and MSM to favor Ms. Clinton and falsely discredit Trump. Nothing on her list. And she's an objective journalist. She doesn't work for Fox or the Daily Wire. It's false. And that's the real collusion story. And that's why this collusion story is there altogether. They have to cover for what Obama did. And what Obama did, <clears throat> as summed up by, um, let me pull the quote up, I forgot to pull the quote up before I got to this point. I can't find it, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, this is worse than Watergate. And it's not Trump worse, it's Obama worse. It's more than Nixon ever did. And he's getting away with it because he have a complicit media. Back then, we didn't. Ari Fleischer. Seems to me the headlines here should have been the quote cited by Peter Zork attributing the redacted source saying the White House is running this. From the National Review. As was his want several times a day, Sork Texas is Paramore, Lisa Page, an FBI lawyer in a lofty position of counsel, Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, which made Page one of the relative handful of bureau officials who were in on the new probe. Late Sunday night as he readied his morning flight, Sork wrote to Page comparing the investigation of Clinton and Trump. And damn, this feels momentous because this matters. The other one did too, but that was not to ensure that we didn't fuck something up. This be- matters because it matters. A text from FBI agent 2016 said the White House is running this, referring to the opening of the Trump investigation in today's press corps, pay it no attention. It's amazing the press looks like other way, looks the other way, and they wonder why people think they're biased. Finally, after some back and forth over who should be invited to the major meeting of the new case, the meeting was held in the aftermath at 4.30 p.m. Zork and Page had the following exchange. Zork, hi, went well, best we could have expected, other than redacted, quote, 
the White House is running this. My answer, well, maybe for you they are. And, of course, I was planning to tell this guy, thanks for coming. We've got an hour. But with Bill Precept there, I've got no control. The White House is running it. The White House ran an investigation on a political foe. It makes Watergate look like nothing. CBS News brings our other stat. At DNC Women's Forum, Hillary Clinton declares Democrats stand for truth, evidence, and facts. Hmm. Then Brian Seltzer. This is a headline on three-day-old piece by the Freeman WSJ saying Obama owes the public an explanation of what he knew about the probe of the Trump campaign. To those on the right who believe the deep state tried to stop Trump from winning the election, this tale has it all. It breaks down the truth, Brian Seltzer says. Per Kimbasy Straffle, far-right pro-Trump bloggers Greg Jarrett and others on Fox played key roles in getting POTUS talking about the informant. And you disagree? Where is that journalistic dedication to accountability? Straight up honest question, Brian. Who did you vote for for president? Trump or Clinton? Stein. This is why CNN is trash. No investigation, just projection. Protecting the very people you should be reporting on. Pretty sure this is not what was envisioned by the founders of your company. And that is the stat. Because once again, anybody who's been on this show for a long time, I've espoused it. It sounds Pollyanna, but it's what I truly believe. The only way we as a country function is with a free press. A press that is investigating things. Yes, I did not like Abu Ghraib on the front page of the New York Times for a hundred fucking days. That's bias. But it was important that Abu Ghraib was found. All we have is a media that looks after conservative administrations and then goes, takes a siesta for the next administration. To a music break! We're doing news, social media nuggets.
the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed this, this is this is something man this is this is our generation man all you people we're all together man it's groovy and dig yourselves because it's really groovy now it's time for news and social media nuggets the crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, we have right see two. these girls? Yep. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. To our military corner, U.S. Army testing larger caliber round. Right now, for those who don't know, you either fire 5.56, that's in our M4s or our 2.49 saws, or a 7.62. They're looking at replacing the 5.56 in the saw for a 6.8 millimeter and something like a 30-06 for rifles because they, let's be honest, you just hit, they don't fall. And, um... The reason why they go 6.8 instead of 7.62 for a saw is it's lighter. You also have to take that in effect. Got to carry the rounds. Rounds are heavy. You know, I, I carried 200 rounds of five, uh, 7.62 for machine guns. Almost everybody in the platoon carried a, a canister of 100 rounds of 7.62. Plus your 
seven mags plus all your spare mags, um, it gets heavy. So um, that's a wanted and needed upgrade. 810s called in to hold off Taliban attack on major Afghan city, Ferris City. And once again, they came in and fucked shit up. So, uh, you know, we never need to get rid of the A-10. If they want to do something, upgrade it. You know, make it more avionic. Uh, do something, but you can't get rid of the A-10. The A-10 is an awesome weapon. And another one for tactics and purposes. What is the U.S. military's oldest piece of gear? And in their article, you know, they looked at a torpedo and thought, well, it hasn't really changed that much over the years. But most people said the Mod Deuce or the P-38. Um, Mod Deuce is from the 40s, yet we still use it, which is fucking amazing. Two are college crazy with the twist. We're going to do a soundbite up front of a woman having a meltdown because of a barbecue or something. Um, we'll listen to that, and then we'll college crazy. Uh, it's illegal to have a truckload grill in the... No, it's not, actually. I just yeah, looked at the it map. Is. It says this is a designated barbecue area. No, it, if you, it, not for a charcoal grill. No charcoal grills are allowed. Do you want to see it? Yeah, I got to try and get me You must not have looked up What kind of grill are you not allowed, and why are you so bent out of shape over them being Because here? It, it causes extra money from our city, and I have people harassing me. <laughs> My race doesn't matter. She is and white. My age. She's white. Your race does matter. They're asking for it. And you're acting like a victim all of a sudden when you were trying to act all tough earlier. You've been harassing us. It doesn't matter. I want the police to come, and I've been waiting for two hours for them. They're not coming. This is No. I'm being harassed. Okay. Can you back I off? I like her, her yes. the car can you back off? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm at the quick stop. Ma'am, can you just back up yeah. just a tad so I can talk to her? Thank you. Uh, sure. Girl, you need to go in. <laughs> Why you mad because they barbecuing? All you had to do was ask for some ribs if you wanted some ribs. You didn't have to call the police because you wanted some ribs and didn't know how to ask. <laughs> I am. That's some funny, funny shit. The University of Pennsylvania Law School is looking to hire a high-level administrator to promote social justice. The director of social justice programs will work with the school Toll Public Interest Center, which facilitates student activism, often in the form of resisting Trump. <laughs> that makes total sense, because the next one, sign-on professor's door calls Republican heartless assholes. California State University professor, or excuse me, East Bay professor, has decorated the door to her office with signs declaring Republicans are heartless assholes and fuck the asshole in chief. 
Members of the school yaffed Chapter spotted the sign and posted an image on Twitter, after which the professor asserted that she is just exercising her First Amendment right. Reached out to the French professor, who responded that she is just exercising my First Amendment rights. She did not care to elaborate. I'm fine with her being able to express an opinion, Rodriguez remarked, and she's willing to have a dialogue. That's great. Only one review mentioned Monopolis having a political bias on her Rate My Professor page, warning prospective students, if you want to learn all about the professor's personal opinions about politics and her life story and joy, the others were universally positive with one comment praising Frenchophone rap hip-hop class, an easy-peasy way to fulfill a grade. Liberals hold a four-to-one edge amongst commencement speak, which is the usual. And UCSC students say historic Mission Bell represents genocide, and they want a bell removed. Yeah. A bell is a symbol of genocide. Okay. College students, this is a different article from another source, demand students remove Jesus Bible references from graduation speech. Colorado Mesa University officials demanded that a student get rid of references to Jesus and the Bible in her graduation speech to fellow nursing students. That is, until she got a Christian legal firm involved, the Daily Sentinel reported. Carissa Erickson, classmate, chose her to speak at a pinning ceremony, which takes place Friday and is a separate graduation ceremony for nursing school. But when CMU Nursing Facility reviewed Erickson's speech and it took issue with it, a few words, according to May 4th letter, Alliance Defense Freedom sent to the school. Seems Erickson shared a story about overcoming adversity and then noted God always has a purpose. She followed that up with, Feel comfort in Jesus' words, and I pass them on to you in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you have peace, in the world you have tribulation. But take comfort, I have overcome the world. How did the school retract the Jesus and Bible reference? A school official emailed Erickson and told her to take out the part saying, You find comfort in Jesus' words and cite a Bible verse. The ADF letter noted, adding that the official also said speeches should be free of any one religious slant and that some people don't appreciate your references. Yeah. A senior counselor, Tyler Langford, director of the firm's Center for Academic Freedom, concluded, today's university students will be tomorrow's voters and civic leaders. That's why it's so important that public colleges and universities exemplify the First Amendment values they're supposed to be teaching the students. Colorado Mesa University has shown it wants to do that by taking quick correction action and agreeing to let students speak without unconstitutional censorship. Only after she got lawyers. They hate you. Title IX creates a prisoner pers, prisoner's dilemma. Students have to file sexual misconduct complaint to avoid becoming the accused. University of Cincinnati suspended a female student for allegedly engaging in non-consensual sex with a male student. And the reality is John Doe filed it because the girl was a bitch and he knew she was going to file it on him. That's a smart dude right there. Wow. There's more to it. I guess they had sex, then she got mad at him, and so he feared she was going to file a sexual complaint on him. So, he's probably a douche. He probably fucking tagged her and bagged her and left. That's kind of fucked up. But, it's a smart way to get out of it. Glamour op-ed praises abortion as acts 
of love. Christianity points the cross as the epitome of love, a total gift of self-sacrifice in order to save others. But a new magazine op-ed is arguing the opposite. That love is about looking out for me. For Mother's Day, Glamour published an opinion piece on May 11th, the headline, How Motherhood Made Me a Better Abortion Provider. They argue that motherhood brought her to the conclusion that abortion is love. Choosing abortion is an act of love. Hashtag Mother's Day. What the fuck? Myoti complained that there are no Mother's Day cards to celebrate abortion. Instead, there are only cards to celebrate giving hubs, wiping noses, and kissing boo-boos. Actions that are seen as the core of how a mother expresses love for children. But abortion was just as loving, she protested. For my patients that were already parenting, I feel the deep love they had both for the children they had and for the pregnancy they were ending. Choosing abortion is an act of love. A deep love. Wow. For my patients who were not parents and did not want to be at the moment, or what who never want to be parents, I recognize their abortion is an act of intentional motherhood. She opened a story by recalling how she told a calling nothing going to change after finding out that she herself was pregnant. But something did change after she gave birth. She became more committed to abortion. I am often asked whether providing abortion care is hard to a mother as if abortion somehow exists in a realm outside of motherhood. But motherhood is not an accidental or natural job. Motherhood is a job done with intention. Holding my baby's tiny hands on my own not only strengthens my commitment to providing compassionate abortion care. Also on our Twitter feed, this is a simulation of uterine aspiration using papayas. Oh, that's fucking fantastic. And then uh, she had a, mother, uh, a fucking Valentine's Day poem that she put on her shit. The power went out, I still had patience. So here's my med Twitter Valentine. Roses are red, violets are blue. I performed an abortion by flashlight. Because abortion providers come through. You are a fucking horrible person. That's all I have to say. Fast food puts you in a terrible mood. It's scientifically proven that fast food can leave you feeling depressed, irritable, and pessimistic. Sharing her expertise with Business Insider, Rachel noted that the portion of fries you typically order, along with your burger or nuggets, is very rich in trans fat. Trans fat upset the balance of omega-3 fatty acids in the body, and research suggests having low levels of these acids can lead to a generally terrible mood. All the tweets on this were, that fucking damn burger makes me happy. Yeah, I'm a fat ass, I'm on a diet, so <clears throat> this diet's putting me in a bad mood, so I disagree. NYDN Phillips says, race, gender matters, sports media, too white, too male. It's no wonder we're being barraged by white guilt and black angst in the national sports media. According to the 2018 Associated Press sports editor, racial and gender report card, most of the people working in sports media are white men. New York Daily News' Karen J. Phillips is none too pleased about this revelation. For him, sports media has more to do with race of the reporter and less to do with the porter of race. Reports show pathetic number. Phillips says 85% of sports editors, 76.4% of assistant sports editors, 80.3% of columnists, 82.1% of reporters, and 77.0% of copy editors are white. And majority are men. 
we too need to do better in terms of our sports desk as well. Of the three editors directly under sports editor Barrow, two are white men. And of the 21 employees who are listed as columnists or reporters on staff, 19 are white men. 9-11 copy editors, designers, producer desk are also white. 89% of our staff is made up of white guys. White as things are, if you remove ESPN from the report, whiteness on the sports beat is even whiter, says Lapchick. If we take away ESPN hires as editors, assistant editors, columnists, the percentage of women and people of color in those positions would plummet precipitously. Phillips says race should be a prioritized in media hiring. And for those who think that color shouldn't matter when it comes to hiring practices because the best person should get the job, I'm here to tell you that your thinking is not only wrong, but myopic and covered in racism. Mmm. So now you just need to be black. Don't have to write. Don't have to be good at what you do. Just be black. Makes sense. Because the next one, Bryant, the New York Times, because New York's all sorts of fucked up. Military and sports events, most divisive spectacle this side of Congress. Yeah. Instead of assigning a sport writer to do a review of Howard Bryant's book, The Heritage, Black Athletes and Divided America and Politics Politics Patriotism, the New York Times allowed him to write an editorial screwing his hatred for patriotism, the flag, the military, and law enforcement. It is a marriage of these ideals with sports events that is dividing America, not protesting, not disrespectful athletes, Bryant charges. After referring to our our era of protesting black players at sporting events, that's not the case, but okay. <clears throat> On a weekend Saturday day, she began the complaint that what September 11th has done to sports, what was once ostensibly a unifying moment in the country has helped transform sports with flags and flyovers, kneeling and protest, into the most divided public spectacle this side of Congress. Until temporary grieving turned into permanent commercial bonanza and a chilling referendum on who gets to be an American. But then it didn't feel right. Like when in 2008, a New York police officer ejected a fan at Red Sox-Yankee game after he left his seat during a seventh-inning stretch cord recording of God Bless America. For Bryant, things got even worse when the Department of Defense serendipitously began playing sports teams to embed the military in the games, paying to have servicemen strategically seated at games, surprising homecomings as in-game entertainment, American flags the size of football fields as recruiting tools. The public wasn't told that the displays weren't organic supporters of the troops, but a business transaction between the military and teams. The American flag appears, and it's not a neutral symbol. It is there to keep you in line. You're a fucking piece of shit. So is ESPN Jones. America struggled to reconcile love of sports with hatred of blacks. Have you ever listened to his show? He's a wannabe Stephen A. And he's a racist. The sport arena is a place where America has been trained to centuries to fear and loathe the black body. Is really having a conversation about white supremacy, about white America's struggle to reconcile its love of sports institution and its hatred of black people. Hmm. Yeah, that's our sports roundup. These fucking people. To our alt-left insanity, an article by MRC Weekly, White Women Weaponize Their Tear. Nobody can say these twilight years of Western civilization are without their entertainment. Just try not to laugh at public trust the media drop faster than Ted Kennedy's pants in a South American brothel, and the best is yet to come. 
We're building toward the main event. I mean, of course, the giant steel cage grudge match between lefty victim groups and no-hold-barred, chair-slamming, pile-driving, snivel mania. Pitting the gays against the trans, against the blacks, against the browns, against the white feminists, against the Muslims, against the atheists, against whoever the hell else has an axe to grind. Intersectionalism will break down. And when it does, it'll be a bloodbath ending when the most powerful grievance group stands in grim triumph over his broken opponents. Here's an undercard bout for taste. How white women use strategic tears to avoid accountability. Bizarre peace and the guardian by one Ruby Hamad. Hamad is an Arab woman and Australian burdened by the manifest manufactured reputation Arabs have for being threatened and aggressive to follow us everywhere. It's very traumatic. Trauma, Hamad writes, assails brown and black women from all directions. There is the initial pain of being subjected to gendered racism and discrimination. There is the additional distress of not being believed or supported and of having your words and your bravery seemingly credit to others. Sure sounds sucky. But then add what blogger and author Levi Aji called the wearing weaponizing, the weary weaponizing of white women's tears and those whippering watermark wash, waterworks wash through the world and make it worse in so many ways. You're going to alteration, commit yourself. Almost every black woman I know has a story about a time and professional setting in which she attempted to have a talk with a white woman about her behavior and it ended with a white woman crying. One black woman wrote on Twitter the WW wasn't crying because she felt sorry and was deeply remorseful. The WW was crying because she felt bullied and or that BW, black women, was being too harsh with her. White women tears are essentially potent because they are attached to the symbol of femininity. These tears are pouring out from the eyes of one chosen to be the prototype of womanhood. The woman who has been painted as helpless against the whims of the world. The one who gets the most protection in the world that does a shitty job overall of cherishing women. I'm telling you, if you ever put the opposite in any of this stuff, it would be racist as fuck, but every week I write something about white men, white women, white, white, white. Who's the real racist? That's the question I'm asking. And then there's this craziness to move into the next intersectionality. Vice and RuPaul encourage kids of all ages to find their inner drag queen. That's an actual article. I'm not going to read it, but... Yeah, no. If your kid's finding their inner drag, drag queen, you're a shitty fucking parent. They shouldn't be doing any of this shit until they're there in their teens. When they start sprouting pubes and their balls descend, then they can realize they don't like their balls and they can get rid of them. Curtains fall for good on NBC's extremely liberal high school drama, Rise. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. This famous quote attributed to Dr. Seuss applies to many things in life, but NBC's high school drama Rise is not one of them. If anything, we should cry because it happened and smile now that it's finally over. Unlike the show's title Rise, every episode in this debut season continued to sink to new lows, so we can also smile over the news that the curtain has been lowered for good on the series. A PTA petition against it, an hour before the curtain is set to rise, Mr. Magoo gives his students a rousing speech about how he changed his mind and wanted them to perform the play as they originally rehearsed it without any changes. 
I can't bear the thought that very last night I taught you all was to cave, he tells him. To play it safe, to compromise. Principal Ward, the PTA, they mean well, they do. But they, they're wrong. They're, they're wrong. I mean, sometimes you, you just gotta say screw it, right? That was from an episode called Opening Night. Maybe they should stop being PC police. You know, every time you read one of these articles about Rise or We Rise, every liberal-centric, what really is shown is the real demographics. We Rise was the gay revolution. Nobody watched it because there's not that many gay people. You make it like it's everybody in the media, but it's only 5.7% of the fucking country is gay and 0.7% is transgender. So get over yourself. This week, SWAT turned an anti-white protest and infiltrated white supremacists in it. That's how they ran the show. Because God actually showed that there are anti-white groups out there. and Well, goddamn, we can't do that. The other one that failed is Designated Survivor canceled as ratings plunge. I watched the first episode, the rest totally blew. And then I had a Madam Secretary soundbite. Not going to play it, but guess what Madam Secretary is going to do? If you're a conservative, you know what the show is going to do. She's going to run for president, and they're going to have their perfect little anti- Earth 2 fucking world where she made it and there wasn't an evil white guy that ruined the black woman's chance. Oh, wait a minute. She was white too. Oh, whatever. Then there's this tweet. White liberal social justice wacko walk into a liberal run Starbucks. Demand to use the restroom. Employee refuse. SJW takes a poop on the spot, then picks it up and throws it at the employee. I want liberals to destroy each other. That was Muhammad A. who tweeted that. Most of you are on Facebook. You saw it. And now they've released across the board. Anybody can use the bathroom regardless if you buy something or not. Just because some black guys were told to leave by cops, they refused. And were arrested for obstruction of justice. And now they're just going to let you do whatever the fuck you want in a Starbucks. When a liberal institution like Starbucks is getting fucked with, what does that say about you lefties? I can understand you going into Chick-fil-A and raising shit. You hate them. But that doesn't get airplay. A liberal throwing shit on somebody. And neither does this article, which was sent to me by my beautiful wife. NAACP leader racial profiling claim challenged after a body cam footage released. A South Carolina NAACP chapter president who says he was racially profiled during a traffic stop was accused of lying after police released video footage of the encounter according to reports. Tonight I was racially profiled by Timmonsville officer because I was driving Mercedes Benz and going home in a nice neighborhood. Timmonsville NAACP president Reverend Gerard Motry said in an April 13 Facebook post. He made a comment that the officer accused him of having drugs in the car he said that his wife and grandchild was in the car. He asked them not to move because the officer looked as if he might shoot them or something. He also made mention that the officer continued to ask him about his neighborhood. Why was he in that neighborhood? And threatened to put him in jail, referencing to something dealing with registration of the vehicle. 
Brown told the Atlanta station that in reviewing the body cam video of the stop, he determined there was nothing to Moultrie's claim. When I saw the video, I was shocked that someone who was supposedly supposed to be a community leader, a pastor, and the head of the NAACP, because Brown is also Brown, it bothered me. It really bothered me. He would tell a blatant lie like that. Thinking about the racial unrest it could have cost the community, and it just troubles me that someone who held a position like that will come out and just tell a lie. Based on the body cam footage, the officer who stopped Moultrie neither asked if he had drugs in the car nor why he was driving in the area. The Raleigh News and Observer reported the paper reported the officer stopped Moultrie for making a turn without signaling. According to the paper, Moultrie's Facebook post has been deleted. Fox 5 quoted a local community activist as saying that he was so upset by Moultrie's claim that he went to the police department to take a look at the video. Timothy Walter Florence said the video just made him more upset. Once I got a copy of the body cam, it's as if he made the whole story up. And I feel like he set us back a hundred years because think about all the racial profiling cases that are true, Walter said. We keep showing him on the show, folks. We keep showing it. And it doesn't seem to matter to these people. They just make shit up. The liberal media runs with it just like Hamas. And we keep stepping back on race relations and all this shit. And nine times out of ten, it's a fucking lie. Think about all the shootings. You never hear the results. You know why? Because they always find out the guy who got shot had a gun. Threatened the officers. It was more than the little Facebook video they posted up. Which takes us to a lighter fact. Before we go into the reviews of 13 Reasons Why and Cobra Kai, which are really, really good, I want to play a soundbite by Matt in Oregon, my bro-bro. He sent me a really good one. It is from the NRA, and it's Killers Inspire Killers. And I, you know, using 13 Reasons Why as a example, they canceled their red carpet shit because of a school shooting. Because they even know... The way they handled this season, they were very delicate. They were hinting towards it, but they didn't really get into it because they know how impressionable their show was before, as we'll talk about last season with Suicide Contagion. The way the media reports this shit and makes kids heroes if they protest against it, they it has a terrible effect on kids. Some will shoot. Some will create things so they can become a David Hogg. So when are we going to be completely honest and acknowledge the awkward, bullied, sexually frustrated, psychotropic, drug-laced, suicidal mass shooters in the room for what they are? Or are we just going to keep acting like we don't know what's going on in the name of not confronting the miserable reality that they are a creation of our so-called progressive culture and media? These shootings can't get any more predictable. They've had the same damn MO for years now. And every time the same type of person commits the same type of carnage, our media swan dives into a promiscuous exploration of who these killers are under the guise of wanting to learn why they did it. 
We've known why these kids shoot up schools since Columbine. The kids from Columbine left an entire manifesto about why they did it. Yet, our moronic media and their blind pursuit for ratings will post every picture they can find of the shooter and repeat the shooter's name habitually, turning the kid into a damn rock star within hours of the damn shooting. And they will keep asking why these shootings keep happening in a country obsessed with celebrity culture, raising a generation of kids with an inability to cope with anything. It doesn't take a clinical psychologist to see what's going on. And no, it's not guns. We've had guns in this country since its inception. Hell, 60 years ago, I could order a gun out of a magazine and they'd send it to my house, no questions asked. This country didn't have these school shootings back in the day. And those kids were allowed to bring guns to school. Nothing has changed except our culture and the way our media handles these events when they happen. We are creating every subsequent school shooter with every mention of their name and every posting of their picture. Nearly every single school shooter suffered from the same type of social ostracism and social neglect. Yet, we are somehow dumbfounded as to why a kid who no one paid attention to, unless he was being bullied or picked on, decides to go out in a blaze of glory after spending weeks turning that kid into an infamous demigod. And then we're even more surprised when another kid dealing with the same issues goes out and tries to do the same thing, but only worse. We can't be this stupid. Instead of teaching our kids how to cope with the harsh realities of life, we shield them in safe spaces and give them participation trophies, incentivizing mediocrity, and tell our young boys that their masculinity is toxic, and our young girls that being a woman means acting like a man, further confusing the hell out of kids who are naturally going to struggle with their identity as is. Anyone screaming for gun control in response to this last shooting is just not being honest with themselves. The kid used a shotgun and a revolver that he took from his parents because he wasn't old enough to buy a gun legally. Ask yourself, what is more likely a reason this latest killer decided to secretly build improvised explosives in order to murder his classmates in cold blood? Loose gun laws or our culture? Then again, I don't blame us. We're merely doing exactly what we teach our kids to do. Ignore reality and blame everything else, even if it means blaming a lifeless tool. Because apparently, personal responsibility and accountability is just too high a price to pay for freedom. I think he's spot on. I think we're making more killers. When you desensitize kids with the video games, and you make heroes out of these psychos, and the media's focus on it. They just don't let it go because they want to take everybody's guns away. I wonder what that effect is. Because as stated, did 13 reasons why spark a suicide contagion? A new study reveals that internet searches for suicide skyrocketed in the wake of the show's release. Within days of the release of 13 Reasons Why, Netflix teenage-oriented drama about a high school student takes her own life. The show is being loudly criticized by suicide prevention experts who were concerned it could lead to suicide contagion effect in a spate of copycat attempts. Now research published at the end of July argues those concerns may have been founded. Google queries about suicide rose by almost 20% in the 19 days after the show came out, representing between 900,000 and 1.5 million more searches than usual regarding suicide. The study published by JAMA used Google Trends to monitor certain search terms, how to commit suicide, suicide hotline numbers, teen suicide. 17 out of the top 20 searches were significantly elevated, and the biggest increase came with the term related to suicidal thought and ideation like how to kill yourself. The time period for searches ended on April 18th to preclude the suicide of former NFL player Aaron Hernandez, 
could have influenced data and any searches related to the movie Suicide Squad. The study's authors write that it's unclear whether an increase in searches regard suicide meant an increase in actual suicide attempts, although they note there, there's t- typically a correlation between the two and that searches for precise suicide methods increased after the series release. Their anal- analysis, the author concludes, suggests 13 reasons why in its present form has both increased suicide awareness while intention- unintentionally increased suicide ideation. The study, while troubling, is not entirely surprising. In May, I examined how 13 Reasons Why managed to break virtually every rule that exists when it comes to portraying suicide, featuring a graphic prolonged scene of the main character's death in the final episode and glamorizing it as a force for positive change in the community. One of the biggest concerns among psychologists and educators was that the show might spark a contagion effect where increased coverage of suicide in the media leads to related increase in suicide attempts. Netflix doesn't release data regarding its viewing figures, but the wide discussion of the show on social media, it became the most tweeted about show of 2017, implies that a significant number of people watched it, particularly teenagers. The rush to produce a follow-up season, currently being filmed, or actually it's going to be, it's out, I'm going to review it, indicates the show has been a big hit for the streaming service. They have tried really hard to... Show things, give you research, where to go, and all that stuff. But there's already numerous cases. There's seven direct cases that have been reported in local media of kids doing it because the way they portrayed it, her getting even with people, the 13 tapes, and lashing out and blaming everybody else for her decision to kill herself, glamorized it. So how is that not the same for gun shooters? That's my question. That's why I tied them together. It's the same thing. So this season, I've watched it. Power watched it in two days. Um, covers the trial where the parents are trying to sue the school for dereliction, allowing their kid to be bullied. It's a horrible, horrible show. that They did it really poorly. They have people saying things in court that you never get rid of with. It's really hard to follow. You find out that Hannah had a lot of sex. That's the girl that kills herself with a bunch of guys. Relationships. She did drugs. She wasn't this great person. And by the very end, nobody gets held accountable for it. And the guy that did rape her because he's rich gets over. And I guess I should have spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Sorry. He gets away with murder. Uh, are raping the girl and gets some probation. And the kid that was accessory to the rape stays in jail for six months and then gets out. Um, so I was really disappointed. I thought they would do a better interpretation, maybe go back and look at it in a different way. Or really what they should have done and the responsible thing was to carry on with their dead. And now everybody has to realize all the effects, the ripples of you taking your own life and how many people you really would affect, even though you don't believe you did. So, I'm going to play a soundbite of the trailer of the next season. If you like the first show, watch it. I could be off on it. It just wasn't what I expected it was. And then I'm going to play the trailer for the show that blew my fucking mind, Cobra Kai on YouTube Red. I tried to forget you, Hannah. I tried so hard. Oh, someday. 
LaRusso here for LaRusso Auto. We are chopping prices on all of our inventory. Johnny? I knew it was you. This is Johnny Lawrence. He and I go way back. Oh, this is the guy who's ass kicked. If you want to get technical, I kicked his face. <laughs> hey, where's golf coming? Oh, I didn't know you guys were trying to buy beer. I'm oh. <laughs> Hey! Watch your car, man. Get the hell out of here, loser. Was that like Taekwondo or something? It's karate. Do you think you could teach me? I'm driving home from work yesterday, and in this strip mall, I see... After 30 years, I thought that guy might have changed, but still the same prick. I heard you beat up a bunch of teenagers. I didn't beat up any teenagers. I kicked the crap out of a bunch of assholes who deserved it. Thinks he could bring Cobra Kai back to the valley? Not on my watch. You want those kids at school to keep dumping things on your head? You want all the girls to think you're a wangless dork? You're gonna be my karate teacher? No. I'm gonna be your sensei. I'm gonna teach you the style of karate that was taught to me. A method of fighting your pansy ass generation desperately needs. Okay, let's see what you got. She's a girl. And? I'm sorry. Uh, Are you okay? Uh, what the? Uh, 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 Girl's a natural cobra. Johnny, you and I, this, we aren't done. Now, I didn't even know this show was coming out. We went and watched A Quiet Place, which I was going to review, but there's not really much to review. It's very quiet. 
monsters kill people, scare the shit out of you. I hate those kind of movies. But me and the wife went and did a date. We went and watched. It was really good. And one of the previews was this Cobra Kai, which I didn't even know was coming out because I didn't have YouTube Red. Now, granted, for full disclosure, I get a lot of my sound bites from YouTube. I have an illegal downloader that's from Russia or some shit or Ukraine or it's probably tainted the election, whatever, um, that I download because you can't download YouTube files anymore. And I noticed a lot of the movies that I used to watch, I can no longer watch because now they DCMA'd the fuck out of YouTube, right? So we see this preview. I decide to sign up for the one-month free prescription. It's $9 a month for YouTube Red. I will cancel it soon because it's, there's nothing really to watch. They don't have a lot of you know original series. Like, you know, I, I can review a shitload of stuff on Amazon and Netflix. I'm watching The Expanse right now, which is really kind of good. If you not watch that, that's actually a good show. But anyway, I watched this. Power watched it. It's very short. It's 10 episodes. Average length of the episode is 30 minutes. Um, five hours of your day. I loved it. I loved it so much that I thought I would just sound stupid. So I'm going to read a review and then sound stupid. Cobra Kai, YouTube Red, new karate kids show shouldn't be this good. The era of TV reboots and revival is strong, whether they're already available. The Roseanne revival on Netflix, Lost in Space reboot, and the new iteration of Charmed, Roswell, Magna P.I. They're currently in a various stages of development and production. What's old is new again, even The Karate Kid. When YouTube Red first launched in 2015, it was with the intention of building an original program library. After all, if Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu could do it, why not the Internet's foremost video hosting service? Thus far, the results have been mixed. While originals like Step Up High Water and Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes on Television have met with moderate success, the service has yet to find a breakout show that could really help it make an impact. That is, until now, Cobra Kai should not be good. It's reviving a movie from over three decades ago and follows a down-on-his-luck loser as he gets reacquainted with an old foe that has gone on to be a huge success. It stars two actors who ex- excelled in the original film, but didn't end up becoming box office titans or massive stars they might have hoped for. While Ralph Macchio and William Zabga have carved out respectable careers with guest appearance on TV shows and smaller roles in film, neither was able to ride the karate kid wave to come household names like some of the 80s counterparts like Rob Lowe. With all of that in mind, Cobra Kai might not sound like the best idea for YouTube Reb to take a gamble on. Thankfully, though, they did. And while everything leading up to this release trailers, its classification as a comedy and the bizarre used car salesman commercial starring Macho and character as Daniel might have seemed silly and not very faithful to the tone of the original movie, the series itself is the opposite. Cobra Kai, named after an evil dojo, Johnny, is now reopening, feels like a trip back to the world of original film where Johnny thought he was God's gift to humanity. Now, though, that would have passed him by. It helps that he is just as much a jerk as he used to be. In the first two episodes, he makes xenophobic comments and only intervenes to fend off some street thugs from attacking someone when his 80s Trans Am, which has seen better days, takes some minor damage. These are the exact types of things he would have done in the original movie, but they seem so disconnected with the world of 2018. He is the story of someone who peaked in high school and is holding on to the thread of that former glory as far as he can. Whether it's through his muscle car, staring at girls with much too young for him, 
or a rebellious attitude that leads him to lose his job after losing his temper. He's shown to be varying levels of racist, homophobe, and sexist, as well as a completely stuck in the past. Yet, as the world leaves him in the dust, Johnny becomes somewhat sympathetic figure. You know, homophobic and racist and sexist, that's such bullshit. Back in those days, fag and saying those things didn't mean what it meant today. They were like saying fucker. But whatever. To contrast, there's Daniels, who's beating his nemesis at all Valley Karate Tournament over 30 years ago. In the original Karate Kid, Daniels' life has gone well. He owns a successful car dealership, he has a nice house and a beautiful family, and he's a member of the local country club. Like Johnny, though, he's lost his way. He's taken the things he learned from his mentor and sensei, Mr. Miyagi, and turned them into a gimmick to sell cars. In his commercials, he karate chops prices and offers free bonsai trees to every customer. True statement. After they cross paths again, Johnny becomes determined to turn his luck around and reopen the Cobra Kai dojo and reiterates and brutal rules. Even all these years later, pain, fear, and defeat do not exist in the dojo. However, he's not as hard-edged as a sensei John Kreese. He still has foul mouth and doesn't seem to care much about his kids, but even in the first two episodes, it's clear that Johnny is changing. He's finally become a force to grown up. He's finally being forced to be a grown-up. It just so happens that as doing so, he comes in direct opposite to Daniel once again, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to give out too much of it. Uh, likewise, the young sporting cast infused new life into the franchise. Daniel and Johnny set out to train the next karate kid, in particular, Zolo Miranda, Parenthood, and Maria Mauser, Scandal, shine as Johnny's first students and Daniel's daughter, respectively. The cast, combined with the creative team of Harold and Kumar, go to White Castle writer John Wirtz and Hayden Schlossenberg and Hot Tub Chime Machine scribe Josh Heald have created something special. There's some laughs, a good dose of karate action, and intense chemistry between Zapka and Macchio is as palpable as ever. It's essentially everything a fan of the original could hope for in a revival and introduce enough new faces and stakes to potentially make new fans the next generation. Whether Cobra Kai can maintain the quality and tone it packs in the first two episodes of the series as it continues remains to be seen, but it certainly has the potential to be ex- exactly what YouTube Red needs. Quality content that can appeal to a wider audience. Now it's up to the audience to decide it's worth their time and something they want to invest in. All ten episodes of Cobra Kai 1 will be available to stream Wednesday, May 2nd on YouTube Red. They've already ordered up two more seasons. <clears throat> If you like the original movie, you'll like this better. It's cute. If anybody out there watches AP Bio, the kid actors are similar, a bunch of geeks, but it's funny. To show you how good this was, my wife had no interest in it. I forced her to watch it, watch it on Saturday. She loved it. It's a great show. So when you're going out there looking for new TV on the interweb, you know, if you're like me, I just bought a brand new Roku premiere for the living room because the Roku 1 was just a piece of shit. So I put the Roku 3 in the back. We're Roku people. We use DirecTV. You know, I got a decent amount of packages. But if you're looking for something different, you usually troll Netflix and Amazon. And since Netflix is about to become Obama flicks, I will be watching it less. Uh, literally, this is a reason to pay for at least one month of YouTube Red. It's a great show. It is incredible. I've watched it twice. Watched it myself. Then I forced my wife to watch it. And we watched it again. So, um, wanted to review that. Go out and see it. Seriously. And, and if you don't trust me, watch the first two episodes. They're free. 
It's episode three you have to pay for. And I think after two, you'll be hooked, because I was, and I signed up. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this to family and friends. Send comments about the track or suggestions for other subjects at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud podcast addict tune in radio google play itunes blueberry and stitcher make sure to check out the flyover politic webpage at f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t.com fop podcast.com it's a theme you see links to feeds for the show links to our facebook page and email us there you see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog which i never fucking do but i'll try to do someday on my blog page Next podcast will be the 29th of May, Year of Our Lord 2018. I'm not going to do a Memorial Day podcast. Um, I hope you all enjoy your week. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend with your family and friends. But make sure on the 28th, please take pause and remember all those that have sacrificed everything for this country. As always, disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Actually enjoy your family because it's a short ride. you got to make everyday account. I thank you all for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make everyday count. Every day.